Science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. No, 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 no. We take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blot. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Carrie. Oh, and I'm Carrie Poppy. I get what we're doing. Okay. And today, well, first of all, it's Max Fun Drive. Happy Max Fun Drive, everybody. Happy Max Fun Drive. So we're excited about that. But also, we kind of threatened to do this before. And only only one person <laughs> that I noticed actually wrote us to say they liked fireplaces, which was our code for, I don't want to hear your personal stories oh. about your faith journeys. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I only noticed one. If someone said that to me, I was probably just like, that's nice. I'm glad you <laughs> like fireplaces. Anyways, too. it seemed like most of the response was, yes, please tell us your personal journeys, which is what we're doing today. Yes. So if you're joining us for the first time, this is... Either the best place to join us or a very confusing place to join us. I'm not sure. I think it might be a good one because people have asked about this over the years, especially in personal correspondence. Hey, can you tell me a bit more about your background and your journey into and eventually out of faith? Mm -hmm. It informs a lot of what we do, what we talk about on the show, our reactions to ideas, our biblical references. Yeah. So if this is your first time listening to the show, not having sex. (laughs) <laughs> well, your first time sounds like oh, when I see. you lose your virginity. But if this is your first time listening to the show, then you don't know. Ross and I both used to be evangelical Christians. Yeah. We didn't know each other then. And we both kind of moved out of our faiths, but continued to be a bit obsessed with religion. Right. And we sort of met each other at a place for community for people who are not religious. Yeah. Our show references those backstories. Here all, the, in, all the time, yeah. Yeah, we, here we t- and there all the time. Little drops of these stories, yeah. But this will give you a, a fuller picture, especially in your case. I think mine will still have some some, some Swiss gaps. cheese holes in it okay. to respect people who are still alive. Okay, I am not going to respect anyone who's still alive. <laughs> going to tell all. Uh, well, at least tell most, because this could last forever. <laughs> and on Wednesday, <laughs> May 3rd, 1993. Lucky for you. that day. Carrie keeps journals. I do not, so you don't get that level of specificity, at least. Oh, you don't keep a poop log? Nope. Oh, you got to keep a poop log. Well, isn't every poop a poop log? Okay, I see what <laughs> you're doing. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we're going to have a his and a hers episode. So this yes. is this is the his. I'm going to tell my story about how I got into this whole thing. All right. And uh, hopefully you'll get to know me better. Yeah. And I've probably heard most of this, but I've probably forgotten it. Yep. So and there might be some new stories for you here that even you haven't heard before. Even me. Uh, we also mentioned it's Max Fun Drive. Yeah, it is. So uh, this is the time of the year that you've been waiting for, knowing that you could support our show and what we do. Well, first of all, it is my favorite, what, 10 days of the year, 11 days of the year, something like that. Yeah, roughly two weeks. It is like Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, St. Patrick's Day rolled into one. Yeah, this is the one time of the year that we kind of make our case for what good friends we've all become, you you and us, yeah. and the role we play in your life. And, you know, this is small, independent media Yeah, with uh, Maximum Fun, uh, which is a great family for us. Yes. And I think for all of you, it's a great staple of shows, a lot of great people that we share the network with. And this is a chance to support us however you can. 
And you're supporting our show directly when you sign up because you will be taken to a page that asks you which Max Fun shows you listen to. If that's just us, you can just pick us and the majority of your money goes to this show. Yeah. So we're incredibly appreciative of this community, all of you who support us. And uh, now's a great time to join and you can do it conveniently at MaximumFun.org slash join. Do it. All right. Now let's, I guess, tell a story. Yeah. Tell me about when you joined Christianity. (laughs) Chapter one, I am born. (laughs) Okay. So I'll say this is going to be a very California-based story. I'm a California boy through and through. I've always lived in this state. Um, (laughs) My mom and dad both were born in Southern California. Ah. And, and you know what? My grandparents actually met in Burbank. I actually do have Burbank oh, roots. Yeah, totally weird. That's where you live now. I live now. Yeah, I live and work in Burbank. But uh, my mom would migrate south, I always say like a whale, to give birth to her children <laughs> in Southern California. So I was technically born in Southern California, but I was raised in Santa Cruz. Okay. That's what I consider my hometown. And it's funny because it's it's known as one of the major liberal bastions. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. hippie town. Mm-hmm. You see Santa Cruz, banana slugs. Yeah, it's like the place that I, as a student at a school in Central California, was always told, oh, that's where you can go and smoke pot and like <laughs> cops won't even care. You yeah. Can just do it anywhere. It's like, yeah, you go to Berkeley or you go to Santa Cruz. Yeah. Those are kind of, or San Francisco, you know, those are sort of your, your options. So funny enough, I identify with Santa Cruz. I consider that part of my makeup that I have a bit of the hippie in me, but at the same time, I was raised in this sort of right wing Christian enclave yeah. within this liberal town. So strange. It wasn't until high school that I finally figured out what the smell of marijuana was. Oh, right. And I had this like, you know, <laughs> flashback. Yeah, moment. yeah. It's like M Night Shyamalan, you yeah. know, end of the movie moment. Where like, oh, this explains the neighbor's house, <laughs> and oh, this explains when I would run by the beach and that smell. I'd be like, who's burning incense or what is that? Uh, anyway, so my aunt Judy had that skunk problem. <laughs> right. So yeah, I was raised in this town with a lot of tie dye and sweet a, a lot of things that I was missing. So yeah, from an early age, I was at CLC Christian Life. Center. That was our Ooh. local church on Mission Street in Santa Cruz. I was. Oh, you have visual aids. I was. I yeah. I brought some actual props here. So this carry is my dedication Bible. Wow. From the year I was born, November twenty first, nineteen eighty two. Yeah, it's a powder blue. You know, because I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, little mm-hmm. New Testament, one of those tiny ones that the Gideons might hand out. Yeah. Okay. Presented to Ross Dwayne Blotcher by Christian Life Center. 1009 Mission Street, Santa Cruz, California, 95060 on November 21st, 1982. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You were a little tiny baby. Oh, yeah. You were like, what, three months? Yeah. And uh, it was Pastor Paget who uh, dedicated me. And he would come up later. And it turns out, you know, my wife had known him when she was little. And her aunt was at my church and made a baby blanket for me. So it's all very incestuous. Wow. Now, a dedication, is that the same as a baptism? No, it's not. Yeah, this would come up later. I remember getting kind of upset when a Presbyterian minister of mine kind of let drop. You don't dedicate babies. You dedicate objects. Oh, uh-huh. You baptize children. And I was like, oh, I've dedicated. And it, <laughs> it harkens back to this one kind of passage in the Bible where I, I think it was Hannah dedicated. Okay. Uh, this is Samuel. This is Samuel. Story. It's okay. Anyways, no one cares. Th- there's, <laughs> there's an Old Testament story where uh, Hannah dedicates her son to the service of the Lord. And so a lot of Christians use that. Oh, okay. And, you know, whole new branches of Christianity have been formed over what you do with babies and whether you can baptize them or not. Are, right. Are they aware of what's going on? Right. So yeah. I was kind of born into that 
thread where you say, obviously, he can't make a conscious choice, but we as the community as parents are dedicating him to the Lord's service. Got it. Okay. Does the baptism take place as part of that? I don't believe so. Oh, interesting. No. Okay. But then in so it's sort pres- of setting your intention. Right. As so, a parent. Yeah. So I was not baptized as an infant. Okay. Yeah. CLC was our, our Christian Life Center, and I would go there every Sunday. This was it's a, a church, right? Yes. Oh, the right. word center is throwing me a little bit. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's an Assemblies of God church. Okay. And Assemblies of God, if you're not familiar with it, uh, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but it's a kind of a holy roller-ish sort of side of the Christianity spectrum, Mm -hmm. very much evangelical, focused on missions. We would regularly have missionaries that we were supporting on all four corners of the earth who would (laughs) come to present, you know, what they were doing in Africa or Indonesia. Oh, wow. So good. You're talking to these people and converting them Mm -hmm. to to Christ. They weren't literal flat earthers, right? Not literal. No, they were not. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely biblical literalists. Yeah. Yeah. I think by adulthood, by the time I was on my own into college, I think you could count the times I'd missed church on a Sunday on one hand. Wow. Yeah. So what were some of the causes of your missing church? In fact, I cannot think of a single instance. Okay. Oh, wow. You're just allowing for the possibility that maybe you didn't have perfect attendance. I might have missed church at one point. My sister and I were on a road trip with my dad, and it was Sunday morning, and we were both kind of freaked out. Like, well, where are we going to church? What's Mm -hmm. the plan? Which normally we would with my dad, even on vacation. So we went off searching in Texas, and we found the second Baptist church of LaGrange, and that's where we went that Sunday. You and your sister, you mean? Yeah. Wow. And your dad was like, okay, kids... (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah. Wow. And you were like, don't you know I have to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. And my my sisters will come up in this. So I have two older sisters, Jeanette and Jennifer. Jeanette's four years older than I am. So we were much closer because Jennifer's eight years older. And Mm -hmm. so she was just kind of naturally more looking to get out of the house by the time I was to the age of making relationships. You guys are like the Olympics. Yeah. But we're, we're all very close now. That's right. That's right. We're spaced four years apart. So anyways, that's, that was kind of my home growing up. I would wear a suit to church every time. You wow. know, again, from the time I was a little kid. You know, there's a video of me singing with my sister, Jennifer, Jesus Loves the Little Children. Aww. At that age where obviously I don't know what the words are even yet. Sure. But, you know, it just gives you an idea of like, this is how kind of deeply ingrained yeah. all of this is. Uh, we did for one year briefly move down to Santa Paula, California. Okay. And I just realized recently, because I was telling my dad about uh, my memories of that church, he said, oh, yeah, that was a Foursquare church. I was like, mm. oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I didn't know. That's another very kind of charismatic, yeah. evangelical, holy roller kind of church. That's uh, Amy McPherson. Yeah. Right? Amy yeah. Semple McPherson, right. Founded in LA, of yep. all things. So who knew I went uh, to a Foursquare church for a year? Your dad. <laughs> yes, he did. And finally, I <laughs> tapped that knowledge. So if you had asked me anywhere along all these stories, I'll tell I'll point out some of the denominations. But if you had asked me what denomination are you, I wouldn't have even said Assemblies of God. I would just say, oh, I'm non-denominational. I'm just a Bible-believing Christian. Right. Okay. So at that church, we'd be there again every Sunday, and we'd have the sword drills where in Sunday school, they would have you compete to see who could find a Bible verse fastest and then raise your hand. Oh, I bet you were great at that. I was excellent at that. (laughs) We had to memorize all the books in the Bible. Oh, wow. You would win a silver dollar if you did. And they gave us, you know, like a few months or something, like try to memorize them 
by June. And I came back the next Sunday. I was like, I know him, quiz me. Oh, wow. So I still know all the books of the Bible. What year would that have been? Third or fourth grade. Probably around 1990. Okay, I'm going to see what that silver dollar is worth now. The sad thing is I lost it at the school playground. Oh, no. The very next week. I know. I was crestfallen. But I just mean with inflation. Well, if someone can dig it up at the uh, sand lot at Baymont, I had no luck. Carrie's looking up conversion rates. Two dollars and three cents they gave you for that. Really? Yeah. Okay. This was very important to me, and then I promptly lost it. Good job, blotcher. <laughs> so I lived in the the west side of Santa Cruz, and in kindergarten and first grade, I went to a public school, Natural Bridges. But starting second Natural grade, Bridges. Okay. I went to only Christian schools until I graduated from high school. Wow. Okay. So, so that played a major role as well. Um, so I went to Baymont from second to fourth grade. That's where my dad had taught previously. Both my sisters had gone there. Ross's dad is a math teacher. My wife went there for different years than I did, so we kind of missed each other a little bit in between going to school with each other. So that was another influence, was just constantly having Christian teachers and assemblies. I think they were Baptist. I feel like we should mention, too, that since we've been talking about denominations and how you would have considered yourself non-denominational, yeah, I feel like if you haven't grown up in that milieu, right. you might assume, oh, that means you're sort of not that committed or you wouldn't sort of stake your flag in the ground. Mm -hmm. But actually, people who call themselves denominational Christian often, not always, are like, the most fundamentalist. Right. I would have thought that was a very egalitarian move. That's a good point where I was yeah. saying like, oh, no, no, no. My beliefs aren't constrained to some weird little faction mm -hmm. or uh, disagreement that happened 50 years ago. Right. We, you know, we just hold to the Bible and the Bible's true on everything. And of course, we thought it was fully consistent. Right. And that's what we were taught. But yes, yeah, uh, speaking of people who aren't Christian, I also had in my family a Jewish side. Mm. So well, my, right. my mother's mother was Jewish. Yeah, you are Jewish by descent. Right. Le yeah. Legit, because it's through the, the mother's line. Uh, my mom put a lot of effort into trying to convert my grandma before oh, she wow. died. And she was successful. She would always tell the story about how... She was successful? Yeah. Whoa. And okay. Yeah. My mom loves telling the story of, I think, praying the sinner's prayer, I think, in the Knott's Berry Farm parking lot. Oh. <laughs> Okay. With Grandma Rose and getting her to become a Christian. So Wow. Okay. So wait, now I don't think I ever knew this wrinkled. So I just assumed the Christianity went back more generations than this. Oh. But your mom is the first convert? Yeah. In that line. Okay. Like, uh, so how'd she become a Christian? That's a good point. Can you call her? I, I've asked her about this. Like her dad wanted her to go to church. He would drop her off at church, but <laughs> he himself wasn't practicing in any way, shape or form. I th I think he called himself- Such a parent move. Totally. I think he called himself a Lutheran, but he would drop her off at church on a Sunday and then come pick her up later because he wanted her to have religion. Uh-huh. And okay. it just became part of her life. Okay. I think she went to Nazarene church. I know my parents did for a while. Wow. Uh, it's amazing how many denominations there are. And I think I was exposed to so many, as you'll see, that, yeah. that again, I just didn't feel like I needed to claim any one of them yeah. as long as I was following the Bible. Um, yeah. And then <laughs> my dad, actually, you met my aunt, my dad's younger sister. Did I? At our Texas show. Oh, afterwards. yes, yes, yes. And yeah, she, she's cool. She was telling me things that I didn't know because, yeah, she's kind of gotten out of this religiosity of my family. She knew my grandma on the other side before she got really gung-ho about Christianity, which I just have the hardest time imagining my other grandma not being 
yeah like, uber christian and she says oh yeah it was like a, a process okay anyway huh. so yeah families are funny so so yeah i have that jewish side of the family and also my dad's other sister is a mormon she was converted by missionaries cute young missionaries Whoa. who came to the door and she still is and she still is wow yeah and funny enough in santa cruz she lived in oakland at the time now okay. she's in utah <laughs> oh know. sure go figure go home um <laughs> yeah she married one guy who she had children with and then they divorced and she married another person, which is really complicated in Mormonism. Yeah, so definitely. I remember inviting those questions. So yeah, it was kind of funny. Most of my family that I knew or was close to were all Christian going out to aunts, cousins, uncles and stuff. But we also had this Mormon side of the family. We had this Jewish side of the family. And the Mormons would say that they're part of the Christianity bubble, but some of the people... Some of the other branches of Christianity yes. don't invite the Mormons in. Right. And we definitely were in the camp that I don't think my family really talked about it so much, but everyone I was exposed to, they would talk about Mormonism as a cult. Right. And in fact, mm-hmm. even Catholicism, most people around me would call it. Oh, cult. wow. Okay. Uh, but again, that was more from the Sunday school teachers, the school teachers, all these other Christian adults I'm surrounded by all the time. I remember having a lot of real head scratching conversations with pastors about Mormonism. Yeah. 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 Well, they're not Christians because they try to add something else onto their salvation when all you need is Jesus. Okay. But if all you need is Jesus, they've got that. <laughs> right. So, but but they don't think of him the saying? right way. <laughs> yeah. All I remember my parents saying was that they had gone to see a film once mm-hmm. and that they thought it was just like really funny and loopy and weird. And then mm-hmm. they realized afterwards, like, oh, wow, that's actually like what they believe. It was a Mormon oh, wow. film that was, te- mm-hmm. I would love to know which film it was and see it. Uh, but they just thought it was so preposterous, this kind of well of souls thing and oh, right. planets and all that. Anyway, so when my grandma died around the time I was nine or so, I remember going to the funeral, wearing the yarmulke. But what I don't remember is something that was told to me years later is that my mom used this opportunity to talk about her mother's conversion and use the eulogy, the speech at this memorial to try to convert the rest of the Jewish family. Oof. Yeah. And okay. how I've heard subsequently, Oof. and I, I 100% believe it, this is my mom, just in the most awkward, gauche, uncomfortable way, try to convert everybody. Oh, God. And so there was this kind of section of family that just didn't talk to my mom or anyone connected yeah. to her for years. And it wasn't until less than a decade ago uh, we reconnected with some of this family. Some of these old wounds have been healed. And I was talking with this gal named Leah, and we were hitting it off. And she's like, oh, wow, you have such interesting stories, and you're an atheist? That's so cool. How are you connected to this group? And I said, oh, well, that's my mom over there. That's Arlene. She's like, you're an atheist, and you're Arlene's son? <laughs> and she just, she loved that. She thought that was amazing. Anyway, so. And, and that's your cousin, Leah? That, yeah, oh, my okay. cousin. Like, we're good friends now. We do trivia. And yeah, that's right. You've talked to Leah before. Yeah. So then around the age of 10, uh, my parents divorced. The, Not when they were 10, when you were 10. I was 10. Mm-hmm. The way custody worked out, dad got me on Sundays. Okay. So this changed the whole church situation. So. Sure. And so now Christian Life Center was awkward for mom. She went off to other churches. Mm. And my dad then went with Diane, who was to become my stepmom, to her church, the uh, Boulder Creek United Methodist Church. Okay. So I got exposed to the Methodist church. So every Sunday he'd come pick me up. I'd be wearing my suit. We'd head off to the church. And it was so different. We were the only ones wearing suits. 
Sure. Everybody else is wearing, you know, just like khakis and a button up shirt if you're lucky. Oh, right. Maybe a t-shirt. And we just thought, oh, this is so weird. <laughs> but, you know, I. Don't they know they're at church? Like my dad would usually be wearing, when I was young, like a three-piece suit, you know. Oh, like, wow. I'd okay. Be like, this the is. The vest. Yeah. This is dress up day. Yeah. You know, it took years for me to break of that habit to say, okay, I guess I can just wear business casual. Yeah. To- Seems like it's, it's always a bit of a loss and a relief, things like that. Right. I, I think there was just a certain pride. I want to be yeah. like dad. I like dressing up. You only do it one out of every seven days. Right. Right. Exactly. The day God rested, we put in a bunch of work into our attire. Yeah, exactly. And this was up in the Santa Cruz Mountains amongst the Redwoods. Really beautiful old church like built in the 1800s. Oh, wow. So so it was kind of an early interesting exposure to, wow, this is kind of a more liberal thread. They didn't care so much about biblical literalism. They didn't talk about that all the time. They thought it was great that I had so much scripture memorized that I was so ready with all of that. But we weren't doing- We're not going to pay you for it. Yeah, we exactly. We weren't <laughs> doing sword drills. I do remember there was once they handed out uh, little scripture memorization packets. And I I had fun with that. I loved it. Uh, But other than that, yeah, there really wasn't much of that reinforcement going on there. So I felt like I was kind of coasting on all of this rigid training I'd gotten over at the Assemblies of God Church. I did become an acolyte there. So here we go. Here's another Hmm. visual. What is an acolyte? This is my acolyte pendant. Whoa, this is cool. That I would wear when I was also wearing robes. So it's kind of like a picture an altar boy in Catholicism. I would wear a stole, these white robes. I also had this pin uh, as an acolyte. Wow, this is a dope design. And it actually kind of reminds me of our Max Fun Drive oh, gift pin this yeah, year. Yeah, that's true. We'll which tell we'll... you about in a little bit. I'm not bullshitting you. It really does remind me of that. Yeah, it's an enamel pin. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's got a cross with blue. And then inside it has the white doves. And it says Acolyte on it. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, so I would ring the church bell to in- oh, invite heck. people from around town to come and join. Church is about to get started. Wow, neat. I would, a hand bell? An actual oh, like- Quasimodo bell? Yeah, like oh. you, you pull on the rope oh. and up in the tower, the giant bell rings out. It sounded beautiful. Oh my God. Did you get to do that every week? Yeah. <gasps> almost every week. You there, were the bellboy. There were a few other, but yeah, I was there for seven years and I was an acolyte for almost all of that. But were you the one who got to ring the bell every week? Almost every week. We you would alternate. lucky little shit. Oh, totally. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, it was great. I would also- Oh, I love a big bell. Uh, I would also, part of the ceremony was to bring in the light. So I would have this special instrument. It was this long stick. Oh, and, it's called a candle. <laughs> and it, it has a wick, like a retractable wick. Okay, yeah, this is a candle. And then the other end curves and there's a little bell to to snuff oh, a candle I've later. seen these yeah, yeah 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 so i would use a little click lighter and uh-huh. light it and then i would come in from the back of the church walk down the aisle i would light the candles on the altar uh-huh and okay i've so seen they, people do this so they'd be shining throughout the service and then the pastor would say something special about you know bringing the light here the spirit of god and then uh, on the way out i would then relight the wick from those candles, snuff out the candle on the altar, and then I would carry the light out into the world. Aw, that's lovely. Yeah. So so that was all really cool, but it kind of gave me this more liturgical side of Christianity where we'd have call and response and slightly different hymns. Some of the hymns we knew, some of the hymns we didn't. So, (laughs) So yeah, that was my Methodist church experience. For many years, and I'll I'll, I'll get to a little while later why that ended eventually. 
again, my mom was now going to other churches, and both of my parents are teachers. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad was a math. math teacher, right? And then my mom was a grade school teacher who would bounce around from school to school, um, sometimes doing substitute work, but she had gotten a steady gig at Green Valley Christian School. Uh, so that's where I went starting in fifth grade. And okay. th that was another Assemblies of God outfit. Starting fifth grade, that's when I met Kara. So we would okay. we would go to school together. My the little girl who would become your wife. My future wife. And at the time, I just remember she was like the only person who had paler skin than I did. <laughs> <laughs> and her mom would always dress her up in these big poofy polka dot dresses or flower dresses with big bows in her hair. Okay. So she looked like a giant doll. Okay. Like, <laughs> like a porcelain doll. Yeah. Kind of literally, right. She had the clear white skin, very dark hair. And she was beautiful then, but she kind of looked like Snow White or something. Oh, wow. And how old was she and how old were you? Uh, we would have been 10. 10, okay. Yeah. 10 and 11? She's a year older, right? She. Oh, that's true. She would have been 11. That's right. Okay. But yeah, I first met her when I was 10. So we knew of each other, but we weren't close. I, I don't think we were in any of the same classes which is really weird for such a small school you almost had to like orchestrate it that way yeah i could go off on little interactions there but that would be a different podcast and a longer story but yeah i had my eyes on aaron watkins i was obsessed with her oh through, through aaron grade. if you're listening hi aaron um, <laughs> if you're listening hi <laughs> So at that school, afterwards, I would hang out with my mom in her classroom. So, you know, lots of stories there. But that's also where I finally got baptized. Okay. And I think because at a kind of, a, I don't know, maybe a crucial age, I had moved over to this Methodist church. I had never been baptized. And it was like a point of embarrassment for me. Oh, like, yeah. Because I got to like 12 years old and I'd never been baptized. Yeah, double digits. Seriously. Double digits, no dipping. Come on. Yeah, we're into the age of accountability now. And yeah. Yeah, let's get on it. So I did finally get baptized at Green Valley. So did you think that before that, that you weren't completely saved because you have to be saved by fire and water? Oh, that's a good question. Well, as I, here we go, another visual aid. As I evaluated myself in my Bible, this was my childhood Bible, an NIV, New International Version, mm -hmm. with a very 70s looking illustration of Jesus carrying a lamb on the front. Definitely with Jonathan Taylor Thomas hair. <laughs> I said I was born again around three or four. So I think I considered okay. myself to definitely okay. be saved. But I wanted to seal the deal with a baptism. It's amazing that anyone could be born again three or four years into life. I wanted to backdate it as early as possible. Yeah, I, well, I've sure. always been Christian. I don't know. When could I talk? I yeah. <laughs> uh, this is also like the school where I starred in a play where I was King Josiah. Oh, right, right, right. You sing a little song? Yeah, exactly. Count to 10. Count to 10. That's how I memorized the Ten Commandments. Nice. So a lot of the indoctrination kind of continued there. So I would go to church with my dad on Sundays, but when Wednesday nights, I would be over at Green Valley doing, uh, we didn't have Boy Scouts. That was too secular. Oh, <laughs> we, sure. We had Royal Rangers. <laughs> oh my so God, okay. I was a Royal Ranger. That's how you would learn your, you know, whittling and knot okay. tying and earn your wow. badges and stuff like that. Boy Scouts of America is an officially Christian organization, but still. Uh, right. Well, still not we, had, we had our own specific Assemblies of God sure. version. Yeah. And like Cara was doing missionettes or something like that. And, missionettes. Uh, yeah, that's 
that was the girl equivalent. Okay. Um, Hadn't heard that. Yeah, there's also Awana. Um, okay, I've heard of that. Yeah, I ended up uh, teaching Awana for a while in high school, and Car was involved with Awana. Anyways, yeah, poor Car. She was going off to seminars with her mom where she was the only child, and all these women are busy speaking in tongues and raising their hands. Oh, wow. So Car really had this growing up, too. I was also really into reading. I remember we had a reading contest one year, and I won with like 4,000 pages or something like Whoa. that. Whoa. Again, you have all your Christian versions of everything. So instead of reading Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys? Hardy Boys. You know, that's. No, I, I was guessing maybe that oh. was the Christian equivalent. <laughs> I get you. It was the Sugar Creek Gang. Oh, yeah. Maybe you've told me about that, but that name stands out in my okay. memory. Okay. So I'd read those books or I'd read books by Frank Peretti or... Oh, sure. This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had like a kid series, like the Cooper Family Adventures. Oh, okay. And then, of course, C.S. Lewis. Of course. I've read each of the Chronicles of Narnia books at least four times. Oh, wow. Uh, then other books by him. In fact, yeah, I still regularly will read C.S. Lewis book every oh, now and brilliant. then. brilliant. Uh, my sister just gave me his uh, Miracles book recently. My oh. sister is still very Christian. Right, right. Um, Both of them, right? My four years older sister is the far more religious of the, okay. the siblings. Uh, also at this time, I was discovering Scholastic Book Order. So I'm reading... <gasps> I'm reading C.S. Lewis. I'm reading Tolkien. My family loves Tolkien. Even though he's Catholic, he's okay. Oh, interesting. Um, but yeah, in the Scholastic Book Orders, oh yeah, I remember. Oh my God, or when I they, want one of those right now. Or when they would bring the fair. Oh, the book oh, fair so is the best day. I remember just like circling items <laughs> in the the order and it was yeah. just so exciting. Yep. And so I started taking a shine to uh, books like phone calls from beyond and like books about ghosts and aliens and cryptozoological creatures. So that's where I think I first kind of got my interest in the paranormal uh-huh. was okay. just reading those books. Mm-hmm. How did your parents feel about that? They supported it. And they, okay. you know, my mom liked that I got excited by the books. We, we weren't a rich family. My mom like really struggled as a teacher to afford to send me to Christian schools because uh, you pay yeah. extra for those. Uh, so I remember like growing up, my my birthday gift would usually be like a new pair of shoes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, that's, mm-hmm. That kind of thing. But I got to go to these nice schools and we lived in a house, you know, so mm-hmm. we were doing fine. But, you know, it was also, you know, something like getting a book order was a real special treat. Yeah. Also, my mom would all, all the time be hunting for new men. You know, she just needed okay. a man. Just needed a man in her life. And so mm-hmm. I think this drove a lot her pilgrimages to many different churches in the Santa Cruz area. Oh, right. Yeah. So it seemed like whenever, uh, you know, I would be doing the early Sunday church with my dad, but I might be doing a, another weekend thing on a Saturday or a Wednesday night. There was a lot of church in my life. So I was also going to Santa Cruz Bible. I was going to Twin Lakes Church, which was a Baptist. is kind of our mega church in Santa Cruz. Actually, okay. bo- both of those are really big churches. Even a little place called the Neighborhood Church, which was a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. Okay. Which, funny enough, was Frank Peretti's denomination. Ah, Yeah. So I remember learning that and being like, oh, well, he's okay. I like Frank Peretti, this present darkness. Yeah, okay. Checks out. Um, And they were, of course, really into missionary works. Anyway, so lots of exposure to different uh, denominations. Then it was time for middle school, and Cara went to Baymont, where I'd gone to school earlier. They had a middle school as well. And I went to Monta Vista, where we eventually joined up in high school. Monta Vista. Yeah, Monta Vista. Also yes. the name of my elementary school. Oh, crazy. Yep. Oh, that's right. So that's that was really formative for me. That was a Baptist school, and I was there from seventh grade through the end of high school. I was really close with my seventh grade Bible teacher and like did a lot of uh, side projects for her and helped her with like art projects. And then in eighth grade, I had a, a teacher, I was going to say professor, I had a teacher named uh, Donald Shope. 
Great name. Uh, what a character. Oh, my goodness. Well, like we thought he was just the smartest person ever because it just felt like he was a walking trivia book. Oh, okay. And you could ask him about anything and he'd know something interesting about it. And my buddy Nick and I would try to, you know, stump him by asking him weird off the wall questions that we'd prepped for and he hadn't. And, and, and you're in eighth grade. So like for you, <laughs> that that's yeah, that's what smart is, is like having a lot of information. Right, right. Yeah. Totally. His class was so exciting because he was teaching us physical sciences, but he would stop the class if one of us asked a question about, say, subliminal messages, mm, which mm. I think I was the one to do. And the class turned into like a week-long seminar on subliminal messages. <laughs> and we would watch Disney films and freeze-frame footage. Oh, wow. and, yeah, and he would talk to us about these things. And like he got me into conspiracy theories. Okay. Like he was my first exposure to that. So I was reading on his recommendation, Behold a Pale Horse. Oh, dear. The Montauk Project. Oh, boy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm you know, like if you had asked eighth grade me who killed JFK, I would have been like, it was William Greer. You know, oh, wow. The driver. Okay. You can see it clearly in the Zapruder footage. You know? Oh, my God. So wait, what did this, what did Donald Shope teach? Physical sciences. Physical science. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> as I recall, we covered that material too. I just thought okay. he was, I thought he he was the best teacher. One of those people who's just done everything. Like he had been a pastor for years. He had a great story about getting automatically assigned a license plate with 666 on it and having to get it replaced. But he'd also, he'd worked in like the Navy or some sort of military side of things. But like just anything you talk about, he had worked as that at some point. He'd be like, what has this guy not done? <laughs> And he already seemed old at the time. And he had like a hole in the back of his head where you could actually like kind of touch and feel where his skull was missing. Whoa. And I assumed for years that he was not long for the world. I had I thought I had heard rumors that he had passed away even. And then just like the last few months, I was leaving a note for my old chemistry teacher. And I saw him chime in on Facebook. And I was like, <gasps> Donald Shope is alive? Whoa. And I friend requested him and he hasn't responded. Okay. <laughs> we could <laughs> call him. He must be like in his 80s or something. Wow. Donald Shope. So yeah, he really had a big influence on me. And so yeah, we were, we were watching the Philadelphia Experiment. And then I'm following up with that book and the uh, Bermuda Triangle a theory. Like I was getting introduced to Charles Berlitz, who's also the guy by behind the language learning software. That's a long side story. Anyway, so yeah, I was kind of radicalized. And I think it's so important, like how you get exposed to these ideas. I think it's kind of lucky for me that I didn't eventually end up a conspiracy theorist because very young by someone I respected, I was kind of inculcated into yeah, these ideas. Wow. Little side story on the steps of that classroom is where I finally decided I could watch Star Wars because congratulations, we had sort of an interesting relationship with media. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of contemporary 90s and late 80s culture that I completely missed out on. Sure. That Kara thinks is just absurd. Like, what do you mean you'd never seen? I haven't seen Dirty Dancing. And oh, wow. Other, other things because like, well, they were they were bad. I didn't get to see The Nightmare Before Christmas till college sure. when okay, I was studying animation. Do you like Dirty Dancing though? I didn't get to watch The Simpsons. My mom would freak out if she heard me listening to The Simpsons theme oh, music. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. I like Dirty Dancing. Oh, it's so good. Okay, good. But I saw it as an adult. Right. So, yeah, I was missing so out. Oh, yeah. So why I'm saying this is I remember telling my buddy Skip outside of that class, oh, Star Wars. Well, we don't watch stuff like that. That's Eastern mysticism. That's oh, what, wow. That's what I'd been told. And I remember him looking back at me and saying, no, man, it's just a really cool movie. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm good on you, Skip. Yeah. And that really cut to my heart like, wow, what a reaction. You can do that? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a, Q, uh, a couple years earlier, I remember being on a road trip with my dad and stepmom and my sister, Jeanette. 
and my stepmom was going to play the Dark Crystal. She was a big fan of the Muppets and Jim Henson, and she had the Dark Crystal on Betamax. And so we were going to watch it. My sister was so upset by this because it was new age. Mm. It was mystical. She ran off and wouldn't even be in the house while that was playing. Oh, wow. And so I, I, you know, I, I should try to talk to my sister about this to get a more of a handle on it. But I think she was more radicalized at CLC because she was a little older and had different teachers mm. for biblical literalism, for avoiding anything that is of this world. Mm-hmm. I think I was just a little less geared that way, enough that I could turn around and watch Star Wars and it became my favorite series. Aww. So um, and now you own it because you work for Disney. That's right. That's right. Yes. Now I personally own it. <laughs> no, I'm very rich. <laughs> also, uh, guest speakers that would be invited in for assemblies at school, I think, played a huge role mm. because you'd have your teachers who would all be, they would all be Christian. They would have to sign on their contracts that they were Christian, but you would get these people whose job it was to go around from school to school and give these talks. These perfectly curated missionary stories. Yes. And then they could also leave in a puff of smoke without any follow-up questions or needing to know any of the depths of their personal lives Correct. or see them as humans. Sure. But most of them would end with something like an altar call or yeah. you know, it was to leave you with, you know, the fear of God, the love of God, you know, the need of God. Yeah. And so I, I just remember how influential these were. And I, I remember like one guy giving a talk on Mokili Mem. I, I don't know if he used that term, probably did, but I remember him talking about like dinosaurs that live in Africa and that shows how these evolutionists just don't know oh, what they're talking okay. about. Dinosaurs are still alive. You can find them. I didn't know anyone thought this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, this is cool. Yeah, this is a big area of cryptozoology. So to my young years, I'm <laughs> oh, reading my scholastic books. Yikes. I'm like, whoa, cool. When I grow up, I want to go to Africa and look for these dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, boy. I remember an, another speaker coming in talking about the evils of rock music. And I remember was I was- Bob Larson? No, that would be, oh my, that would be crazy if Bob Larson had spoken to my school. You know what? I, I wouldn't be able to tell you if he had. That would be amazing. I don't think it was though. We can figure it out. But I remember this guy early on tainting the well before I did get into some secular music, you know, like telling us Gavin Rosdell, I don't know, he beat Gwen Stefani or beat some other woman. I don't know. I okay. just, I remember the like- Musician and no doubt. Right, is Gwen Stefani. And then Gavin Rosdell was from Bush. And I- Oh, okay. I remember like getting into Bush later uh-huh. as one of the okay rock bands, but then like thinking like, oh, but he's also bad because he beats women. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't know if that, I still don't know if that's true though, because that was told to me by, <laughs> by one of these assembly if you're people. listening, Gavin, we're not taking a stand. Uh, okay, so when would this have- been like what years i want to see if we can figure out where bob larson was <laughs> not uh not live yeah. on the air but sure uh okay so this would have been starting in 1994 and going through the year 2000 in the year 2000 when and I the school was called monta vista, monta vista christian school thank you okay if you wow if you find that out that would be amazing i probably won't i remember but will i spend a lot of time on it Yes. I remember in high school, uh, there was a speaker who came in. And again, just one of these one one day fly-by-night people. I might be able to figure out who he is because I think I bought a bunch of his audio cassette tapes. But he really can... Mike Warnke. (laughs) Oh, that would be amazing. He convicted us about like pornography. Oh, right. And I was discovering pornography in high school. And I rode these roller coasters of guilt and um, my struggles with that. But I remember being driven to tears and even like in front of the school assembly, like raising my hand that I had a problem with this and, uh, you know, talking to him afterwards and feeling so encouraged and throwing out all of my porn collection at the time. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask. So was it? 
like cassettes, <laughs> like VHS cassettes, magazines. Or... Wow. Okay. That I would cool. hide. You're old as fuck. I would hide below my lowest drawer. Yeah. Th- th- that's still. Where like... would you get them? Well, that's a long story. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not honest in how I obtained uh, Did you said steal your porn? I stole porn. Oh, my God. And, and to this day, I would say that's connected to like the, one of the worst things I've ever done in my life. But that's a different story. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I was totally guilt-ridden about all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I had this whole system to keep it hidden under the lowest drawer. And I had the drawer rigged so that if you tried to pull out the drawer, it would be caught by like, oh, a, sh- uh-huh. like a shoelace. So you would have to come around the other end, untie the shoelace <laughs> so that the drawer would come out all the way because I didn't want my mom to ever discover this yeah as far as i know she never did anyways oh riddled with guilt so this connects to another really important moment in my life and i know when this was because i wrote it in the same bible this was the summer of 1994 but i think first we need to talk about maximum fun drive an equally important moment in your life was today when max fun drive began that's right i've also written it in my bible (laughs) (laughs) oh good good so why Max Fun Drive? Why do we have this beautiful two-week spread? We have it because we are part of a community of mm-hmm. independent artists. Yeah. Who aren't beholden to big networks. Mm-hmm. We're beholden to a very little network <laughs> uh, of awesome people, of really cool people, caring people, um, yeah. and, and a family of people who are part of the Maximum Fun community. Yeah. Some of our listeners might know Max Fun is artist-owned. It's audience-supported. And that means we have complete control over this show. Yeah. Like, we don't have to run the recording by anybody. Right. They just trust us. Yeah. Just poop it out, <laughs> get in trouble later. Yeah. So, I mean, it really gives this freedom to the creator to be good at their jobs and do what they're doing yeah. as freely as possible. And to be quirky and experimental and try new things and mix it up. Yeah. And have fun with it. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's, and Yeah. Not too many places like that exist in the world. Yeah. We're really lucky to be part of it. Seven years now. So when you become a member of Max Fun, you're directly affecting our ability to continue making this show and Max Fun's ability to plan for other future shows. So there are a bunch of really fantastic shows on the Max Fun Network. Yeah. If, if we're the only one you listen to, that's okay. We'll fill your stomach. But there's a lot of other good appetizers out there. You Absolutely. should go check them out. Gosh, there's some great stuff on there. Yeah. Some of my favorite shows are on the Maximum Fun Network. Legit. And as we said before, this is the one time of the year that we really try to recruit people and we offer all these really cool incentives to join right now. I know yes. you're listening right now. Yes. This is a great time to pull up. You can even start looking at it. Maximumfund.org slash join and you're going to see all of these great prizes that are available. But we always try to goose the works a little bit here at mm. Ono, oh Ross and Carrie. Goose the works. Yeah, is that a thing? I've heard that, but I like it. Yeah, it may be. maybe picturing like a goose coming up and pulling a bunch of levers. I think I mixed two different metaphors there, but I'm sticking with it. it. Let's goose the works. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, there's all kinds of great reasons to join right now and become part of this family and support us. This really helps us survive. Yeah, literally. I have a cat in my lap and she eats kibble and I have to buy the kibble. Don't let Golly go hungry. Yes, hello. So we really appreciate the people who can support our show, who are able to. We know that not everybody can, and not everybody can this year, but you might be able to next year. Please remember this when you are rich, when you become, <laughs> when you start your own Amazon, yeah, you pe- owe us so much money. Well, and we understand, you know, people write us, you know, I'm, I'm currently a college student and I'm eating ramen for every meal. And dude, I have sincerely been there. We, I get, I we totally get it. Get it. Yeah. Totally uh, okay. But for those of you who can support, maybe you can help some of those other people listen to 
this content. Yeah, this is one of the really great things about MaxFun. They don't put nearly anything behind a paywall. There's some like bonus episodes you mm-hmm. can get as a member, which is great. But they want to make sure everybody can access these shows. So if you can afford to support, you're also making this available for the people who, who can't do that. Right. And if you join at just five bucks a month, Ross, Ross, five big ones. Five dollars a month. Five little ones. Okay. Okay. Five little silver dollars. All you have to do is memorize some Bible verses, get your five (laughs) silver dollar coins, send them into us. You get access to all the bonus content, including some brand new stuff this year. Like what are our bonus episodes this year? Our brand new ones, Ross. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this is exciting. All right. So we've got two already. This is in addition to all of our previous years. So maybe you're already a Max Fun member. In that case, you may have already heard our Firewalk episode. You may have already heard... Life-changing for you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, My foot's doing really well now, by the way. Good. Yeah. You'll hear extra interviews that we've done, movie commentaries, all kinds of fun stuff, mailbag episodes. Interviews. But also this year, Carrie has read a story that she wrote... In, was it sixth grade? I think I was 11. So yeah. Uh, okay. So, well, you know what, though? Because of the content, because it mentions church a lot, ah. I'm tempted to think it was more like seventh grade. Okay. More coming when you hear Carrie's story. Yeah. So it, it's like an hour long. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a novella that you wrote. I did. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> it's, a, it's a mystery story. And so Carrie reads it to you. So you get to hear 35. Six-year-old Carrie? 37 year old 37 But year- my birthday hasn't come yet. Oh, got it. Okay. So, yes. 36. 37. 37. 37. <laughs> you get to your 37-year-old Carrie read the uh, magnificent writing of 11-year-old Carrie. Have you heard it yet? Not all the way. Yet. Oh, okay. Uh, That's okay. I, I need to, I need to okay. prioritize this. Okay. And then, and then the other <laughs> bonus- really important. <laughs> The other bonus content uh, already waiting for you that's brand new is me reading, I was going to say dramatically. No, it's not dramatically. Undramatically reading. Yeah, soporifically, L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology, A History of Man. So in this voice, I slowly read about the preclear. So the idea is that it helps you fall asleep. Yeah, and I've I've used sleep aids like this before and it it works for me so hopefully it works for you if you're trying to get to sleep and just get your mind to settle down listen to me read l ron hubbard and if you can pay attention and actually hear what <laughs> what he's saying it's absurd and it's funny but i think eventually it'll put you to sleep and i'm toying with the idea of reading the exact same stuff but as a wake-up track <laughs> it's a great idea <laughs> yeah i love it uh let us know if you want that but if you do just tweet at me i like baked potatoes and then i'll know you want that and you'll remember that nope okay so that's all for five dollars a month yes you get access to all that content you are a maximum fund member and all of the previous content that we've mentioned so that's that's a great deal and you support us that's like one four hundred thousandth of a prius okay And yet it's still, I don't know, I made up that number, but it's a very small fraction of a Prius and you get a Prius worth of entertainment. I don't know. I'm sticking by it. Okay. Okay. And maybe you want to join or upgrade at the $10 a month level. Well, you can get a Max Fun show pin of your choice and holy hell... The Ono Ross and Carrie pin is so great. Yes. So this reflects our long series on Bob Larson and exorcism. 
And it's a picture of a demon hotel. With no vacancy. (laughs) That's right. That means, as Bob Larson has taught us, every one of you has a spiritual hotel and it has many rooms and demons can come and infest those rooms. So if the demon hotel has no vacancy, that means you are completely full of demons. Yes, exactly. And the pin is so cute. It's a demon hotel sign, a kind of like old-fashioned mid-century sign, a cute little demon who's sitting on top of it. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like, oh, hello. Little baby demon, like if there was the demonic equivalent of a cherub. Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. And then underneath that, it says no vacancy. It's so cute. And we get it at $10 a month. You get to choose one pin. There's a lot of shows with a lot of great pins. We get it. You're going to choose ours. We get it. (laughs) We understand. If you listen to a different Maximum Fun show and you you want to get their pin. But but usually then they have a pin sale that comes later for the $10 and over members. That's true. You could buy other pins. You could buy multiple pins. Gets you behind that gate where then you can participate in the pin sale which the proceeds go to charity so come on it unlocks a whole pin world exactly it's like going to the book fair and we are actually going to be taking a break from pins for a bit after this year so you're gonna want to round out your pin collection with the 2021 on rack pin and also this year, we've put together the Max Fun Take a Minute Tea Kit yeah. for the hot drinks lover in your life. Really cool. Really nice artwork that comes with it. Um, and this like rocket shaped, is that a tea infuser? Mm-hmm. Super cool. So yeah, that's for $20 a month. You can upgrade to any one. So let's say you're at 10 now. You can upgrade to 20. You get the whole tea kit and everything that came beneath it as well. Of course, you get a pin and all that. And and there's a special custom Max Fun blend of tea from our partners at Wishes Tea. It's like a Roy tea oh how cool yeah so i mean you will you will be drinking the maximum amount of fun what more could you want (laughs) uh but you also get the bonus content and everything else the pin and listen if you've joined or upgraded already thank you so so much yes thank you and if you're ready to do so now you can visit maximumfun.org slash join and if you're already at one of those levels like 10 or 20 and feel like giving more but you know you're maybe not ready to jump fully to the next tier you can do that as of last max fun drive you can now choose another amount in between that will still be seen as one of our new and upgrading uh members and we'll tell you soon about all the cool things that unlocks. That's at MaximumFun.org slash join. So back to my school assemblies. Yes. This may have been organized through my church. We had a weekend conference during the summer of 1994. Okay, going there in my mind. Yeah, so I guess I would have been almost 12. So it was going to be like a whole weekend of these speakers telling us about, you know, various aspects of strengthening our belief. And I remember like we had t-shirts for it and all the time they were pumping out uh, the Newsboys song. I'm not ashamed to let you know. I want this light in me to show. I'm not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, I didn't actually know the tune. I was just trying to back you up. I'm not ashamed to let you know I want this light in me to show I'm not ashamed to speak the name of Jesus Christ That would be playing over the loudspeakers all the time. Funny enough, I remember it was in Chico. I remember the campus smelled of sulfur all the time. Oh, weird. Should have been a a bit of a warning or worry. I think maybe (laughs) maybe we joked about it. But yeah, like, you know, rotten egg smell all the time. There was the same problem at 
the Ozark Mountain UFO conference. Remember oh, right. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I probably mentioned the Chico thing at the time. So oh, that was maybe. kind of my association. But I would say this was kind of a weekend that really radicalized me, my family. Okay. Um, so yeah, my sister Jeanette was there with my mom and myself and a lot of our friends from the local church. What happened? We'd have just this lineup of speakers. I remember one in particular was telling us about the evils of secular media. Mm-hmm. And he would play clips and he would shame people. I remember him bringing up Silence of the Lambs. He'd say, like, be honest, raise your hand if you've seen Silence of the Lambs. People would sheepishly raise their hands. Not us. We haven't seen. Mm. We, we don't watch stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so then you'd kind of guilt everybody for that and play some clips. Because um, <laughs> I haven't seen it. Here's some clips. Exactly. Bob Larson does the same thing in his books I... where he's like, this was so evil. I had to sit in the front row and watch the whole thing. Right. And I wonder if I questioned that at the time. I can't honestly say I did. If I thought like, hey, but you're watching them enough to pull clips. Yeah. Um, But I think maybe I would have justified it by saying, well, this is like a warrior for God and God is helping them. Yeah. I'm already building this case against us. So let's move on. Oh, right. Right. (laughs) But we don't say this stuff's evil. I'm going to seep into your pores. Right. Yeah. We're not talking about the influence of angels and demons. I mean, we are, but only in as much as they're talking about the influence of angels and demons. (laughs) Anyways. So I remember in particular, the speaker made my mom feel totally convicted about Superman. Oh my God. The original Richard Donner film, because she loved that one. She loved Christopher Reeve. He's still my favorite Superman because uh, he and Lois Lane sleep together. But they're not okay. married. So, That's in the Bible. So we threw out that VHS tape. Oh, my God. I think that was in the first movie. Anyways, we threw it out. Also, my VHS copy of Aladdin. Aww. Because this guy played one clip of the Sultan coming out onto the balcony and saying, praise Allah. And sure. For that, mom had to throw out my copy of Aladdin. I was so mad. Great. So I love that movie. But the real centerpiece of this conference was the appearance of, and I, I'm pretty sure I'd seen them before at this point, and I know I saw them afterwards, but it was a group called Radical Reality. Oh, okay. And cool name. Yeah, they would go around from school to school, uh, giving all these talks, and they were these, these cool guys because they were all bodybuilders. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. would come in in like track suits, like solid <laughs> color track suits. <laughs> okay. And, you know, they were all, they Bless were them. huge. They're like six foot plus, and they were just bulky, muscly guys. And the lead one was Donnie Moore. So this was Donnie Moore Ministries. And he had kind of like a, almost like a Mel Gibson-y kind of feel to him, like a thicker Mel Gibson, I guess. Okay. But like that same kind of like 80s version of Mel Gibson hair, where it's sort of wavy and coming out and long, uh-huh. almost mullety, not quite, and wearing the tracksuit. And then inevitably, they'd take off the tracksuits and show their bulging muscles. They would rip phone books, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. would break stacks of bricks. Curl up frying pans, just all these you know, bend rebar. You know, they had all these ways to show just Crush their a Coke physical can. power. And I don't think it was ever stated explicitly, but the implicit lesson was, of course, that God gives us the strength. Right. Of course. Drew and I saw this in South Carolina a couple of years ago. A, a similar demonstration, kind of very similar, yeah. I remember Donnie Moore himself, he said that he had been the chaplain for the Oakland A's, so that was all the more legitimacy, and I was, mm-hmm. I, I, sure. I had been really into baseball <laughs> card collecting, and I was like, wow, oh, how cool, and even they chose him, he's so legit. They would do all these feats of strength, and then they would give a talk about, 
you know, whatever it was, uh, this come to Jesus kind of talk, and it would always end with an altar call. You would end in tears and knowing you needed Jesus in your life, and there's no way you could live without him. So I remember at the end of this talk, he called uh, everybody up, and specifically, he wanted us all to be filled with the Spirit and to speak in tongues. Ah, right. Okay. I had never done that before. Yeah. So for people who didn't grow up in the church, this is this concept that if the Spirit overwhelms you, you start babbling in another language. Mm -hmm. The language of angels. Yeah. So, I mean, originally where this idea comes from, at least biblically, Mm -hmm. is that you would be given the ability to speak existence languages in the world, but that you've never learned. So maybe I I can suddenly speak Italian Uh and communicate with uh, native Italian speakers. But as it became increasingly obvious, the world got smaller and more connected. And it was like, oh, this isn't a real language. People are just babbling. Then it seems to have become like, oh, yes, it's a special language of Jesus. Yeah, I would say I would say the biblical representation of this is murkier than that, where, where you can actually legitimately argue. I think it's in first Corinthians 12. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. But there are passages that say essentially like when you speak in the tongue of angels, you know, or mm. you speak in tongues that other people can't understand, you know, mm-hmm. and it makes it clear that we're talking about something that humans consider babbling. Mm, but okay. then there is a passage where you have some of the early apostles speaking to the crowd. And this is different than anyone claims to do now, where you're speaking and simultaneously, multiple people in the crowd who know different languages hear their own language. Oh, cool. From you speaking. Uh, No one claims to be able to do that now because obviously they would have to put up or shut up. And I mean, all you need is plants. (laughs) Yeah, so to be like, oh, I'm hearing it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But you could record it and then independently show later, no, you are not speaking Farsi or whatever. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is very important to kind of those evangelical, again, holy roller. Charismatic. Yeah, charismatic and... um, Pentecostal. Pentecostal, thank you. That's a Pentecostal as a term is probably the best one for that because the idea was that at Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit came down upon the assembled followers of Jesus after he left. Flames of fire were floating above their heads and they were speaking in tongues and all that. So yeah, that's where that- Sounds dangerous. Yeah, what what the Pentecostal church kind of goes back to. So yes, a very Pentecostal thing. So I came forward, many others came forward, most of the audience. And so we're all coming out onto this dais and this, you know, kind of large church-like, room. And are you feeling especially compelled or are you just oh, like, this is what we do? A hundred percent. I think I may already be in tears at this point. Oh, wow. You okay. know, like I, you know, I, I need to she have broke a phone book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I know he gave an impassioned message and I can't remember yeah. the content of that message. Sure. I don't know what it was, but it left me feeling like I would be nothing without Jesus in my life. Yeah. So yeah, I came forward and a bunch of other people I knew over time, everybody was praying and they were starting to speak in tongues. Some of them were falling down on the ground. And really it became this thing where you could just see visually, even when you would occasionally open your eyes, you would just sort of see out of the corner, like, okay, there's only now eight people still standing and I'm one of them. Oh, now there's only four people standing and Mm. I'm one of them. You know, and it was like this moment where I'm really wrestling with, okay, I'm trying not to be too in my head about this. This is about Jesus right now. This isn't about me and stop trying to do that. But what's the matter? Why is this not working for me? And what am I doing wrong? No, no, stop thinking about yourself. And he then coached us all to start repeating a phrase like, I love you, Jesus, or something like Mm. that. And I remember that's the one that I started repeating. I just kept saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. It was a warm room. I was starting to heat up. I was getting almost kind of feverish. And so now I kind of look back at that and realize that 
this was essentially a mantra mm -hmm. I was repeating. They were trying to get you into sort of a dissociative state. And I was getting lightheaded. Mm -hmm. And I remember he said, who has still not been slain in the spirit? And that, that's another word for speaking in tongues, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Donnie Moore himself would go around. He's got the microphone and he's still whispering sweet Jesus nothings to everybody as he walks around over the intercom system. And so he comes over to you know one person after another and pushes them on the forehead and I remember just the surreal moment of him coming to me, pushing me on the forehead. I fall back. Other people around me catch me and slowly lower me to the ground. And I start speaking in tongues. That's so wild. It just happened. Ugh, I want that experience. Yeah. And I was just, you know, babbling away. It's the only time I've ever done it in my life. I <sighs> haven't been able to do it since. Don't know if I've really tried. But yeah, it just, it came to me at that moment. And it felt, this is going to sound weird. It felt orgasmic. Like uh -huh. that same rush of endorphins throughout the body. And later on, when I had sexual experience, I would be like, oh, I was kind of like speaking in tongues. <laughs> this is exactly like Los Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't think about that anymore. That's a funny memory. <laughs> uh, so anyways, yeah, it, it, it worked. And I don't know how long it went. It could have been two minutes. It could have been half an hour and it would have felt the same mm -hmm. to me. But eventually I kind of came out of this reverie and just into a quiet stillness. And I've written in my Bible here that I spoke oh, in tongues. Whoa. In parentheses, slain, slain 728, <laughs> 1994. It makes it sound like someone killed you yeah. for speaking in tongues. Yeah, and it almost felt like that level of importance of a rebirth yeah. for me. Wow. That had a huge impact on my life, just that moment, you know, because I could always kind of come back to that. This probably isn't the best storytelling, but it wasn't until I was an adult. And years later, when my, my sister was still is still very much Christian and I'm not, that I found out that not only was she also in the crowd, I knew that, uh, but she had also come forward. She had also tried to speak in tongues. She had also been one of the last people still standing. And it hadn't worked for her mm. when she did get pushed on the forehead. Mm. She did not speak in tongues. And to this day, she's very skeptical of that as a spiritual expression. Oh, interesting. But I just, I never realized that she'd kind of gone through all of the same things I did in that same mental game going on. Did she resent you for? I don't know. Having... No, not that she's expressed. It. Okay. Not that she would either as a person. But. That seems like it would be really hard if then your brother leaves the faith and it's like, and God even did this for you and not yeah. for me. Well, yeah. I think always at any point you could have pointed at Jeanette as being the the most Christ-like of all the children. Mm. So I was I was very committed. Hated figs. <laughs> That's right. I would say I was very Christian. It was a huge part of my life. I talked about it a lot. I thought about it all the time. But I would say even more so, Jeanette was really gung-ho about this. And there were moments like, you know, her refusing to see the dark crystal where I felt, okay, well, should I make a stand here? I don't feel like I need to. I like, I think it's more important to honor Diane's wish to watch this with us mm -hmm. and share it. Speaking of that Methodist church, so I was still going there, you know, during my high school years. And we had one pastor who at one point mentioned he was giving a story about, I think it was Jesus feeding the 5,000. And he said, now, some people say that maybe they were just, you know, they shared efficiently and that it, fish and loafently. Um, mm -hmm. They maybe the rules of physics weren't broken. But what was miraculous was the sharing and the community that Jesus created. No. No. Yeah. yeah, it's not miraculous, um, sir. So my family, Sit down. I think I was off at Sunday school, so maybe I missed that exact moment. But my dad was upset by this, and mm. my stepmom, they're like, you know, of course it was a miracle. How dare you say <laughs> it, maybe it wasn't a miracle? Um, but Jeanette in particular said, I can't be at this church. They don't preach the Bible. 
Whoa. And so I remember it was like this kind of decision where she was no longer going to spend this one day of the week. She was going to go to a different church because she could not hear this Wow. How old was she? She would have been around 18, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I mean, serious sense of individuality. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh, should I make that stand? Well, I don't know. I feel it's more important. Like, this is the day I hang out with dad. If he's going to this church, I'll go with him. Um, So we kept going. And and a a thing about the Methodist churches, they don't want you to get too tied to the ministers. So they swap them out every couple of years. Okay. Like the Mormons. Yeah. And so we went through quite a a few. So yeah, this guy was, I think, even like an in-between or an interim or something like that. And we got a different one and she still didn't want to come back. She's like, no, I'm done with that church. Wow. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this was all during high school. So I kept going to that church for a while. Also, at the same time, very involved in my high school. I'm occasionally giving talks at assembly. This is an earlier story, but now I'm just remembering kind of these cornerstones of faith. I remember once sleeping outdoors under the Arizona sky and just seeing the stars more beautifully than I'd ever seen them before. Mm. And I just remember in that moment as I was falling asleep under the stars thinking, if I ever doubt God, I'm going to remember this moment because I feel him so much right now. Um, Are you remembering it now? Yep. And? stars are beautiful (laughs) they are so beautiful um even more beautiful when you understand like just how far away they are and oh Eh. (laughs) not not as good i'm much more compelled by the sea than by space okay but anyway that's neither here nor there that's really lovely though i remember having experiences like that too and you feel like oh i'm storing it away and i'm sort of shoring up my faith and then when you return to them later you're like oh yeah yeah Yeah, we had another moment like that, actually, that was another one of those, like, stick a pin in this kind of moments in high school. It was on our junior trip. We were going to D.C., and I was with a bunch of other guys, and I remember, like, we'd all been getting in little squabbles on the bus and stuff. And so kind of my close-knit group of male friends, we were all in a hotel room that we were sharing together. And I remember we just, we prayed that night continuously. We were taking turns, and we were praying about getting along with our friends and being beacons of God's love And then the next day, things went well and everybody was getting along and we're like, oh my God, that was so powerful. And and so again- It's amazing what a good night's sleep can do. (laughs) Yeah, right. And and just some positive intention to like, yeah, I'm going to play the high road when these things start. I'm just not going to respond to them. I'm going to return a soft answer. All of that works, you know, but Mm -hmm. for for me, that was just such a confirmation of my belief. Sure. And and we had shared that moment where we'd been praying so fervently together. And in a way it is. I mean, it like it confirmed that that shared language you had of the faith was a unifying principle that worked for you in the moment. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something effective that can make a change in your life. And Mm -hmm. it reinforces the very real human connection as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So yeah, I had all of those moments going on and that was all kind of connected to high school. Also at the time, I'm like uh, listening to almost nothing but K-Love Radio. Hell yeah. Which we've talked about before. Sacramento. So I'm listening to Jars of Clay. We've had Stephen Mason on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to DC Talk. I'm buying their albums. Newsboys, all of these other Christian bands just really fanboying out on that. Even, you know, Point of Grace and Avalon and all these other. Oh, even Point of Grace. Okay. Okay. Twyla Paris. Like, you know, this (laughs) this wouldn't be my kind of music. But I'm listening to it because sure. it's, and I'm watching, Ve- I'm watching VeggieTales and oh, um, VeggieTales was so good. A Thief in the Night. It was the 70s movie about the rapture. And like we had that on VHS tape. I have that. What? You have the Thief have in the a Night? I did CD. I have a DVD of that. Okay. For Christmas, yeah. Drew bought me like <gasps> 20 very cheap Christian DVDs that he found on some website. And one is A Thief in the Night. Oh, we haven't watched it yet. Watch it and just know okay. that I have it practically memorized. Maybe we'll all have to watch it together. It featured that song, 
Life was filled with guns and war, and all of us got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Okay, that's familiar. Children died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been Is it about ready. the rapture? Yeah. Oh, okay. There's no time nope. to change your change. mind. Okay. The sun has come, S-O-N, and you've been left behind. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Beautiful. so all the, all the stuff that I was kind of surrounding myself with, steeped in. Also, we're listening to like Jews for Jesus tapes on our road trips. So Jews or Jews? Jews for okay. Jesus, because we've got this kind of Jewish heritage, but we're, oh, right, right, we're, we're right. Christian. Keith Green was another major musician who had a huge impact on my family. We owned all of his albums. We'd be listening to Keith Green music all the time. Fun fact, his daughters went to my high school. And his wife, Melody Green, once gave me a ride home, which was amazing. That was like, that's wonderful. That was the biggest celebrity thing like (laughs) I could ever ask for. That's like Carl Sagan driving you home or something. Oh, wow. It was like Keith Green's wife drove me home. (laughs) Anyways, so yeah, that was all high school. But at the same time, then I'm starting to get little glimpses of like listening to Garbage and the Smashing Pumpkins, and I'm feeling guilty about it. But this is my taste that like there's art that exists outside of Christianity and it's exciting. Yeah. So what happened then with the church was that I was starting to get older and almost to the point of being out of high school. And then we got a new minister at the Methodist church and it was this woman named Tara Trueblood. And great name. Great name. But she was way too liberal for even my parents to handle. So she started, instead of like giving sermons about the Bible, she'd just be talking about good things and contributing positively to the world. That's the upwards trend. But Mm. then there are bad things and decay and negativity, and that's the downwards trend. Okay, It's a running joke between us, the upwards trend, the downwards trend, (laughs) to talk about this kind of wishy-washy Christianity. And like she told the story, and now I wish I could remember what the context was because it just sounds so wrong out of context. But she told a story about giving her sister a sponge bath and like <laughs> what a humanizing moment it was. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and it was this weird thing that was like, okay, you're talking about your sister, but there feels like there's a semi-lesbian erotic charge to the uh-huh, story. Uh-huh. It's weird. And we, you're like, I like it. We, <laughs> we're like, no. Yeah, my parents are like, no, we, we're done with this church. And so they protested. Whoa. And they finally left the Methodist church. So this was... Wow. Okay. So this is around the time then that I had broken up with Nikki and I was... Your ex-girlfriend. My only other like really serious girlfriend. And now I'm starting to date Kara. I, I remember she even... Your visited, wife. Kara had even gone with me to the Methodist church a few times and, uh, and seen the, the whole thing there met people but now it was time for us all to abandon the methodist church i know how to truck i could move myself around so i started going to aptos christian fellowship where cara went where her mom was a minister the, the children's minister she was ordained within the assemblies of god church and so we started teaching sunday school there and i got very involved and i helped like repaint the church one summer and uh they all called me ross on the cross because i was the only one who wanted (laughs) to climb to the top of the roof and paint paint the cross so yeah there's like a fun photo of me somewhere hanging upside down from the cross that sounds worse than it is i'm not on the i'm like up on the steeple part where it is anyways you know became part of the family there my very first job that was a paid job was helping Kara's dad 
clean the church at night. It was one of those church slash preschools. Mm -hmm. So I think I got my first paychecks doing that. Um, And then after I graduated from high school, I actually got hired by my high school as their web designer because I had come in with a floppy disk one day and I'd shown the principal like, hey, uh, you got this really rudimentary website. I was thinking it could look something like this. And I kind of, I'd built a little HTML page and put in graphics. And I brought along, I don't think I'll dig into them for quotes and Bible verses, but I brought along the last two yearbooks from my school. Oh, wow. Yeah. Both of which I designed the cover for. And so, so, you know, I was like this, I was this aspiring graphic designer. My dad once had come home when my dad was still around. So I was like, this is particularly good. Thank you. Yeah. I remember coming home with that file because he had told me when he bought a 40 megabyte hard drive, he had now a 20 megabyte and a 40 megabyte hard drive. We will never be able to use 60 megabytes of storage. And so I brought home that yearbook cover on a zip disk. The file for that was 76 megabytes. It's like, can you believe it, dad? This one (laughs) image, 76 megabytes. I I can recognize most of these images, but who is this? (laughs) Well, of course you wouldn't recognize that. That's Don Price, the founder of Monta Vista Christian School. Oh, okay, okay. His dad was the the founder of Monta Vista Christian School. Yeah, it goes back to 1926. This is more of a classic yearbook look. Uh, This other one, the saving the best for last. Yeah, you know, just learning, learning my shit then. But yeah, I was, you know, I was the super, Christian guy. I was the guy who gives talks in assemblies. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I stuck around and I worked as an employee. So I would come back for summers during school and I would be working at the Christian school uh, for a few months in person and doing website design and stuff. At the same time, I'm studying animation at Woodbury down in Burbank. Now I've moved down to Burbank. So you're in college. I'm in college now. Okay. Uh, Cara and I have been dating and now I'm living down in the dorm the first year of college. I, I get involved with the Bible study group there, living in God's hands to Today, aka Lig Light. Light. Clever, yeah, okay, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, my friend Jen had founded that. And so I also find a local Presbyterian church. Uh, that's actually over in Malibu. So I used to drive out to Malibu, for those of you not familiar with LA geography, that's yeah, like a 40-minute drive each week mm-hmm. to go be with my good high school buddy, Andrew Brummy, who my son is partly named after. And we would go to church together. Oh, goodness. I'll, I'll summarize a lot of really complicated stuff. Essentially, you know, still going to church, still very active, but I've also got this relationship going on with Kara. And one thing I haven't said is that we were having premarital sex mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. high school. I felt... Super guilty about this. She didn't. But like I would constantly, it was like with pornography, like where I'd get to this point where like I need to just stop this altogether and quit cold turkey. And so I remember calling her once and her thinking that I was trying to break up with her. And I was saying, no, 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 I just we can't have sex until we're married. At the same time, there was another woman. And now I have to say woman because, you know, we're of that age. There was another woman in college that I was getting close to and starting to have feelings for, but Mm. this was too late. I'd already had sex, so I'm spoken for for life. Oh, wow. So you're thinking because you have had sex with Kara, you must marry her. Absolutely. Okay. In my mind, we are married. We we are together for life. Oh, right, because you are married in God's eyes. Right. I don't think she's thinking that way. And I did did give her a promise ring. This is kind of a Christian thing to do is to give someone a promise ring. So yeah, I'm starting to have feelings for this other person who I'm seeing every day at college. So all of this is swirling in my head. I'm feeling terrible. I remember after church one day, Andrew telling me, you you can't keep sinning like this. You need to call her and tell her to break this off. You know, that you can't have sex anymore until you're married. And so, yeah, she hung up. She was crying. She So I called her back. No, she no, thought you were breaking up with her. I, she thought I was breaking up with her. And I remember I was doing this from my dorm. And she said, well, what if we got married right now? 
And I said, yeah. And I had like in my mind, like you graduate, mm-hmm. then you get married. And I had this whole timeline. But I was like, yeah, that solves the problem. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so she flew down that weekend. I, I remember I did have to skip out on a class to actually go get married. So I'm not sure how that all worked <laughs> out. But and, and stupid, that teacher marked me uh, as an unexcused absence. Anyways, I'm still bitter. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, her name. Uh, I hope she's listening and I hope she feels bad. That jerk. Why can't I think of this? Oh, I, okay. I've harbored so much bitterness for so many years. <laughs> I don't like her. She was just a mean person in general. Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> so yeah, we we tried to go to the Burbank courthouse or the the city hall. And they're like, no, 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 you have to go to Norwalk. So okay, we hop in the truck. We drive down to oh, Norwalk. Wow. My family and friends at school have mere hours notice and they show up. Like Aww. my mom shows up, my aunt, my cousin, um, a bunch of friends from school, including Megan, who I'd kind of had feelings for. And she oh, had, weird. Okay. She had feelings for me. <laughs> yes, weird. We tried to work it out already at that point and realize Ross is staying with Kara. Anyways, and then my mom, of course, started arguing because she wanted to catch the bouquet. Oh, my God. And so she turned it into this big argument between her and her sister, which is what my mom does. Anyways. It's supposed to be chance. That's the idea. <sighs> Not the way my mom works. It's, it's <laughs> supposed to be about her. And she Just wanted to toss it she, directly to her like underhand pitch. Still wanted a man. Yeah. Oh, she like pretty much beat up my cousin to pull the flowers out of her hand out of like three people who are in the catching side of things. So we got married and, you know, it was this, uh, we we call it our cantaloupe because we tried to elope, but (laughs) we couldn't because everyone showed up. So, you know, now we're married and then it it took a little while. There were a few months where I moved out of the dorm and I lived with a friend, but then Cara moved down and we lived in North Hollywood for many, many years. Also, the very day that we got married, we also conceived our child. Yes, (laughs) I know, which is so funny because if you hear just that, it sounds like, oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. You weren't pregnant already. You conceived on the day. Yes. But but with you guys, you're just openly like, oh no, we were having sex before. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was. We're not hiding this. From but I you. know we hadn't seen each other for a couple right. months, so it happened then. Yeah, because Andrew was a little little early, uh-huh. uh, like a few weeks early, and people are like, oh yeah, we know what happened while you got married. <laughs> no, I know exactly what happened. Yeah. Anyways, that's funny. So, um, but she, for if I recall correctly, she also forgot her birth control. That's right. Something. She yep. had birth control, and she left some of the pills at the the hotel or the airport or something anyways yeah, what are you gonna do? we had a child so <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do you're gonna carry a child to term that's right so here i am i'm a college student first year i'm married at 18 yeah and by the time andrew was born i was still 18 um yeah. so everybody all the time was like wait a second how old is your child because he's 19 now yeah and they're like I was younger than him when he was born. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we named him partly after my friend Andrew. Also, it was a biblical name. That was important. Sure. So all was going well. I'm also working the part-time job with Monta Vista and full-time when I, during the summers. Also, the next year, I become the president of Living in God's Hands Today. So I'm organizing weekly Bible studies. I'm giving talks at school. You know, and also now I found a local Presbyterian church that I'm going to. Wonderful group of people. I'm still friends with all of them, still friends with the pastor and everything. Great people at Westminster Presbyterian in Burbank. La-di-da, everything's happy. Then I take a science class. Oh, boy, the beginning of the end. This is the kind of thing that, you know, parents always worry about. Your kid going to a secular school. Yeah. It didn't play out the way that we'd been warned, where you have your professor trying to talk you out of belief. Right. And lure you away. It's not a Cristiano Brothers movie moment. (laughs) Right, exactly. It's not Kevin Sorbo. Mm -hmm. Turns out he was just disappointed by God. So I only had two science classes in all of my years at Woodbury. I tested out of all math classes. And so pretty much everything was art history and typography and figure drawing. 
But I had these. Woodbury is in art school for those who are like, what? And architecture and business management and stuff. But oh, yeah, sure. I, I was on the art track. Just in case anyone was like a typography class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the science classes, they were both taught by the same instructor, Dr. Phil Pack. He was a great teacher, kind of looked a little bit like Einstein, mm-hmm. if you will. Just really a fun, easygoing guy. He taught us botany and then environmental studies. And I remember I would pepper him with questions because in high school, I'd had Bob Jones University textbooks. I had learned Mm. literal six-day creationism. Mm -hmm. And I remember having like dorm room debates with friends about uh, evolution. And I had learned evolution purely in terms of how to refute evolution. Sure. So I'd be like, oh, what about those polystrate fossils, huh? Or what about the time that human footprints have been found alongside dinosaur footprints? huh? How do you explain that? All purely in the form of poking holes at evolutionary theory. So that the other person has to deal with it. Right. Not, not having a positive. Yeah, not ev- actually making the case for a six-day creation. Yeah. And I didn't understand what I was doing, but I was doing sure. it. Uh, same thing with like um, carbon dating. Have you heard about all these cases where carbon dating is given the wrong results? And mm-hmm. So I was full of that kind of stuff. And I tend towards an encyclopedic memory of things that I'm really uh, into. So I remember I would, I think, respectfully pepper that teacher with some of these questions like, well, where did the first sexually reproducing organisms come from then that doesn't make much sense he'd say oh well here's one theory about how that could have come about and it would actually be sensible stuff Uh, but he he handled it incredibly well and didn't make a big issue out of it so what happened was he uh, was handing out one day extra credit pamphlet you can go to this lecture series at caltech and just take notes let me know how it went it was from the Skeptic Society, mm. run by Michael Shermer, uh, who is a science historian. Yeah. A science historian. And th- this is a whole different story. But he was caught in sort of the early Me Too movement that happened mm-hmm. within skepticism. So there's problems there. But he was my entry point in that mm-hmm. he was running these meetings at Caltech. And I was really interested by this flyer. And it listed a variety of different science topics. And I was, I was just curious. And I would treat it like church. You know, I would go every time, every mm. lecture, and they would be held sometimes once, maybe multiple times per month. And I would write him these long reviews. And finally, he said, like, you don't need to prove to me. I know you're engaging. I know you're going to. <laughs> you don't need a higher grade. You're good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And he'd see me there sometimes. And so for the first time, I'm hearing about people like Carl Sagan. I didn't mm-hmm. know who that was. Uh, mm-hmm. Richard Dawkins. I don't think I'd ever heard of Richard Dawkins beforehand. Mm-hmm. Steven Pinker. A lot of men. Um <laughs> A lot of white men. Yeah, a lot of white men. And the audience was, at the time, full of just surly old white men, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes I would sit towards the back and just see like kind of a sea of bald heads and be like, wow, okay, I found myself uh, in an interesting crowd. But I mean, mostly because that's who those thoughts were sort of available to at the time. Right. Not so much an indictment of the white men as like, you know, the more you are disadvantaged by society, the less likely you are to have access to sort of engage in these topics. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a real effect. And I can say in the years that I was there, I really did see the milieu change like the the attendants get uh, younger and then more female represented and then more uh, racially represented was always that's something that community is still working on Mm -hmm. but definitely you know I did see progress over time Um, so I was usually like one of the young guys and not all the talks were about evolution per se yeah it was a variety of topics but I was just so engaged and I think this was kind of my first indication of my personality that is like yours that makes this podcast possible (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I disagree with you and I really want to hear what you have to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was coming back for. And mm-hmm. I was really paying attention. I was buying the books. I was reading the books. You know, I'm getting to have celebrity moments like Bill Nye would come to those sometimes. Oh, like, yeah. I got to meet and talk to Bill Nye. He yelled at me to buy a bike and I did. You know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, I met uh, Brian Keith Dalton for the first time there, you know, who eventually wrote our theme music, who did Mr. Deity. So, like, I'm kind of hobnobbing with these atheists. And mm-hmm. my dad, whenever I call him on Sundays, I still think of Sunday as dad day. So I call him every Sunday. Talk to him. 7 p.m. Uh, that's right. Uh, talk to him and Diane. You know, he would call those, oh, your doubters club. You know? <laughs> and he'd kind of look askance at it. And, and in my own mind, that whole time I'm going, I'm reading these things. But at the same time, I'm kind of crossing my arms, sometimes physically, if not just mentally. In the back of my mind, I'm saying, oh, well, First Corinthians says God's foolishness is greater than man's wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've got all these little responses for the things because in the little interims or the warm up, you know, Michael Schirmer might make some joke about Christianity or right wing fundamentalists or something like that. And I would take all these things kind of personally and I would yeah. have my own little arguments and ways to deal with them. But... I'm also, for the first time, reading evolution as written by an evolutionist. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember reading The Selfish Gene and, oh, yeah, Jared Diamond was another speaker I was exposed to, uh, reading um, Collapse and, oh, goodness, like, so many ideas were being opened up in my mind and things I wasn't really getting at school because I wasn't taking those kinds of classes. And I was just really getting into it, but also wrestling with it because I'm becoming more and more aware of this internal voice of mine. And the objections that I'm giving are sounding less and less convincing to me. Oh, sure. I remember reading at college. It took me the better part of a year. I didn't read as many books back then. uh, The Ancestor's Tale by Richard Dawkins. Mm -hmm. Huge, massive book. But it changed my life Mm. because this story, it's kind of patterned after the Canterbury Tales where you're starting at present and we go back in time and we meet up with as fellow travelers people with whom we share a most recent common ancestor. So you meet up with the ancestor of the chimpanzees and then the gorillas and then, you know, the old world monkeys and then the new world monkeys and the lemurs and eventually the platypus when you end, mm. get to the end of the mammal realm. And so it took me the better part of a year to read. But at this point, like I'd already thought, wow, evolution, it does explain a lot. This is pretty powerful. But then at this point, it was like, I get it. This makes sense. Uh-huh. This this is what science is like. Wow. It's not only right, it's not only factual, but it makes predictions and like I'm just I'm starting to finally grok all of these mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. and like how powerful they are. It's a decision point. It really is. Yeah. And so this is like a year and a half process. I always say, you know, conversions are fast, deconversions are slow. Mm-hmm. Just thinking of the ancestor's tale. I remember once I had to go run laundry at the coin laundry and I was running out of time that I could go start my load. And I was reading the chapter about the star nose mole in that book. And I was like, okay, I'll just finish this chapter and then I'll go. So I hop out, grab the laundry, get in the car, turn on the radio, and I'm listening to NPR just by default. And they're sharing a story about the star-nosed mole, which I'd never heard of before, Yeah, you know, or certainly no detail. And they're talking about updates on the information I just read about in the book. And I was like, it's like God is trying to tell me he doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, I'm going to these lectures, I'm reading these books, and I'm struggling internally as I'm teaching Bible studies every week. Yeah, that's a rough spot. That are increasingly becoming, let's help Ross wrestle with difficult passages of the Bible. (laughs) 
that he's having a hard time with reconciling. Oh, yeah. Guys, what does this mean? And like, I'm hoping I'm going to get some like easy answer. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's all ringing hollow to me. Oh, yeah. This is what I call faith hot potato. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm struggling with doubt. Let me hand it to you. Can you convince me for a second? Okay, you got it. Okay, thank you. That was very helpful. Oh, you're wrestling with that? I've got that one figured out. That doesn't yes. bother me. Give me the potato back. I've got this one. Yeah. And that's yeah. why you need the community. And like, I think why after like a disaster, everybody races back to the church because it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a cry for, wait, remind me again why there's a God because mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. it's not feeling real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and if someone does that perpetually, they're not doing their job and you start, that person starts to be like kind of a little bit of a tumor on the system. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then you need some kind of intervention or yep. I'm feeling that this is happening, that I'm kind of losing my grasp. And I reached out to Campus Crusade, which is a a popular group for organizing Bible groups around the nation and probably the world. And I'm telling them I I need to step out of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so instead of... And they're like, no, you don't. Right. Yeah. So they're like, oh, we're going to come and meet with you. And they send a couple people to advise. And everything they're saying is all just like trying to encourage me to get back into it and be more encouraged. And they've got all these materials for me. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I really need someone else to step in. And so eventually I did. I found uh, Amanda. She was very involved. And so I passed it off to her to be the next president of Light. And she went to a couple of the Skeptic Society lectures with me. I remember once we were debating some weighty issue afterwards, something about morality. And I remember her breaking down crying because she was so frustrated that I was slipping away and she couldn't talk me out of it. She she couldn't answer the questions I was asking. Yeah, I had those conversations too. And yeah, er everybody I'm revealing these doubts to is severely disappointed. There's people who really look up to me as kind of a faith leader, Mm -hmm. someone that they've sort of looked up to. They've passed the potato too. Yeah, exactly. And I'm no longer a potato recipient. Um, (laughs) So so I'm dealing with that. We're at the edge of this analogy and we're going (laughs) to... Stick to it. That's right. So as I'm peeling potatoes one day, no. (laughs) And yeah, I won't go into like all the different Bible passages in particular that I was fixated on. But this is where also some of those books that I'm reading are the first critical scholarship I'm being exposed to. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning about the origins of the Bible, the authors of the Bible. Oh boy, it's over from here. Discordance in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Biblical errancies. And so, yeah, I'm reading some of those books. Yep, that's not good. Also, for the first time, I'm meeting out gay people. Um, oh, okay, forget it. And it's like, I've never met anyone at that point who copped to being gay. Oh, wow. And I'll admit to having had a very you know homophobic upbringing and mindset mm-hmm. up to that point. I remember meeting one of my dorm hallway mates, Robert. Oh, wow. Who Robert, you know. Yeah, he and I did a play together in 2009. We were both in Once Upon a Mattress. That's amazing. Well, yeah. I always think of him as like my first out gay friend. Aww. And Good on Robert Zafoya. Years later, even in recent years, I've learned about people I went to high school with who were gay and, of course, hiding it. You sure. had to. I would say the whole love the sin or hate the sin thing, but mm-hmm. I felt so guilty saying it. So I was wrestling with that. I don't want to feel bad about these people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> these people, you know, the gay people that I'm meeting. And there's something wrong there. This is also working on a political level. Like, I'm not sure, but I may have voted for Bush in the 2000 election. I'm not actually. Hell yeah, great job. I'm 100% (laughs) not sure whether I actually voted or not. Oh, okay. But if I had, I would have voted for Bush. Sure. I was still very right wing coming out of this school where everybody was right wing. Anyway, so all of this stuff I'm wrestling with, and I've got a son now, and my whole parenting philosophy is based around trying to be like Christ for my son. Yeah. I remember this song. It was like kind of a country Christian song, and it went, uh, I want to be just like you. 
Cause he wants to be just like me. Oh, okay, okay. Help me be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. That wow. that, that was yeah. like my parenting philosophy, and now it's like I'm losing that too. Oh, right, yeah. So I'm all of, holding all these potatoes for all these people, including my son. Right. I'm remembering another metric, which was that the Passion of the Christ came out around this time. Mm. And I remember there being all this debate about anti-Semitism, and that was new to me. I was like, wait, we love the Jews. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I didn't realize that there were anti-Semitic roots to Christianity. So I remember arguing with people about that. Like, no, uh, Jesus was Jesus a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. I That's know. all you need to know. How could we be anti-Semitic? It just seemed like the furthest thing from my mind. But I remember going to watch the movie just because I was curious. What will this do? Will this restore my faith? Like, you know, seeing the passion played out. And it turned me off. I was like... I think I'd heard enough at that point, you know, where I could have the thought that this is just, this is kind of gross and Mm. this didn't need to be the case. Wait, he's God. Why did he have to have his own son show up and get killed? You know, that that's the rule. Someone has to die. Why? Who makes the rule? You make the rules. No. Yeah. Why not just say you're forgiven? And so all of this is playing out and I just, I see this as kind of gross. And the movie's like three hours. (laughs) Brilliant cinematography. Jim Caviezel, by the way, who plays Jesus is now like full on the crazy train with QAnon. Oh, cool. He believes in adrenochrome. Yeah, good stuff. Sweet. Um, So all of that is swirling about my head. So then I have another really crucial moment that happens at this point. But first, I think we should talk about our stretch goals. (laughs) Okay. Like Jesus on the cross stretches (laughs) toward the nails oh it's not it's not a fun analogy is it (laughs) okay okay like uh it's gross carrie it's gross like play-doh stretches to meet your fingers yes okay okay we will stretch our goals in this fun drive right like we could just have bonus content and and cool gifts that you get for becoming a maximum member and that would be great that would be enough mm-hmm. but we like to sweeten the deal here at ono ross and carrie that's right and have show specific goals so when you sign up to be a member at MaximumFun.org forward slash join, or you go there and upgrade your membership, you will be asked to choose which shows you listen to. And if you choose Ona Ross and Carrie as one of those shows, which you should because you listen important. to this, hello, we will count you in our show-specific total. And Ross, how many new Ono Ross and Carrie listening members are we hoping to get? We're hoping to get... Quite a few new and upgrading members. Quite a few. Quite a few. Specific. Quite Quite a few. few. (laughs) (laughs) Exclamation! Bold, bold, bold. Um, It's like one of those uh, thermometers, (laughs) and at the top it just says "quite a few." (laughs) Quite a few. I I did not match your enthusiasm there, but that's because I wanted to build up to these numbers. So Mm. we have multiple goals. So if we reach these numbers that we are about to tell you, Uh these things will happen and become available to you, Max Fun member. Yeah. Before we mention any of ours, we should mention an amazing stretch goal happening over at our friend podcast reading glasses. Yeah. So if you help them get to 1,200 new and upgrading subscribers. So by the way, reading glasses is my favorite podcast. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. It's all about book culture, life. It's good. Librarians. Yeah. It's a fantastic conversation. I love it. If you make them part of your maximum fund subscription, they get up to 1,200 new and upgrading members. Carrie and I will exercise Mallory Mallory O'Mara the co-host of Reading Glasses. She has many demons in her demon hotel. She only just read the Bible for the first time, but she is lit. Oh, is that true? Oh, wow. Yeah, that was one of her previous Max Fun Oh, okay. Goals. Did she like it? Yeah, she she knew nothing about the- <laughs> She did like no, it? No, no, I take oh, it back. Okay. She hated the books. She's <laughs> oh, okay. like, 
Because, you know, she's she's an author and she read it and she said, this thing needs an editor. It's terrible. Yeah, sure. It's terrible storytelling. So, yeah, I'm sorry. That was the wrong response. But what she did like was that finally she understood so many references from like songs and artwork. Like, oh, that's what Jacob's Ladder is. Oh, that's what that is. You know, like things she just never knew anything about. I can't believe she'd made it that long. And if you listen or love the Bible, that's great. There are some really choice things in there. We're just talking about trim it up, trim it up, clean it up a little bit. But look, she's lived a life of sin. She's covered Mm. in tattoos. Mm-hmm. The woman's got demons. Yeah, we need obviously. to help, or you need to help Mallory get exercised, and we have the training. That's right. And certification. Yeah, uh, from Bob Larson's Exorcism School. So that's 1,200 new or upgrading members who sign off on reading, reading glasses. glasses. Yes. Now, what about Ona Ross and Carrie, the show that we are on right now? Well, I think since we're talking about exorcism, some of our listeners who really enjoyed our exorcism series with Bob Larson would like to know what happened in the Advanced Academy of Deliverance. Which you are in. I am ready to spill the beans. But if we get to 1,500 new and upgrading subscribers to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, we will release two bonus episodes all about the Advanced Academy of Deliverance. And they will be on the exclusive donor feed. So you need to be part of the family to get those episodes. Oh, damn. I'm a member, so I'll be okay. Yeah, same here. Okay, well, I'm very glad I'm a member, so I get to get that. Now, what if we get to 2,000 new or upgrading? Well, kind of related to today's and next week's episodes, if we get to 2,000, Mm -hmm. we will record an album of Carrie and I singing praise and worship songs that we remember from our Christian days. Yeah. That still live in our heads. (laughs) There's lots of them. This will also, I assume, be members only. We're not going to release yes. this on the main feed. That's right. Like a couple of, of nutters. Look at all this extra members only content. Yeah. We had one other album. This will be our second album. We're musicians. <laughs> our first album was Disney Songs from Memory. That's and right. This will be Christian Songs from Memory. Sure. Yeah or, yeah. or so. I think that's part of the fun is like seeing where we forget things. Yeah. And acapella. That's what we did I, last time. Yeah. I might play banjo for one. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay, good. Been learning the banjo, folks. Well, what, Carrie, if we get to 2,500? What if we get uh, that many new and upgrading subscribers? I'm so excited for this. If that happens, we will do a one-hour live psychic call-in event <laughs> where we will take calls from people who want us to read their futures. Fantastic. And it'll be live, but then we'll also put it on the feed. I'm just I'm spitballing here, Carrie. What if we get to 3,000 new and upgrading subscribers? Yes, I know. That's a big number, but crossing our fingers, 3,000, we will do a live reading of the script to The Exorcist, the famous <laughs> movie, Okay. with Ross and Carrie and friends. I don't want to say too much but uh we're getting the cast together and uh, there there might be some fun maximum fun personalities from other shows i'll tell you oh gosh it's hard to decide but i'll tell you three okay members of our star-studded cast Ooh, janet varney yeah nice she's hilarious Dan McCoy. Oh, good. And Justin McElroy. Fantastic. Okay. Pretty good, right? You, you want this to happen, right? Yeah. You want, you want to hear The Exorcist as read by us and them. The only way to do it is to go to MaximumFun.org slash join and support us there. That's right. And we have more stretch goals. So if we can meet those goals, we've got two other ones that we're excited to tell you about next week, but we got to hit those first goals. So That's right. help us get there. Fingers crossed. All right, so returning to my story, where we've left Ross confused and angst-ridden, I'm having a crisis of faith, a dark night of the soul. I can date this to 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was spring break. 
Uh, so we had break. Yeah, uh, not going to Cancun or anything like that. Uh, we were driving up to visit family, but I remember I had a break away from school. So we were driving in separate cars. So Cara and Andrew were in her car and I was in my truck. And I just figured, okay, I'm going to hash this out with God. This is my chance to like get to the bottom of this and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it's a long drive up to Santa Cruz. So it was yeah. like five plus hours. And it was all just me pleading with God. Like, out loud? Yeah. Wow. Oh, oh, yeah. Shouting a lot of this stuff and oh, wow. uh, crying, telling God, hey, I know we're not supposed to ask for a sign. It is a wicked generation that asks for a sign. <laughs> but Gideon asked for a sign and he, you know, I've, <laughs> I've got biblical examples I'm giving God, you know, and like he got dew on the sheep's fleece and then he got dew on the ground and not on the sheep's fleece when he asked. And, and Paul, you, you knocked him off the horse and, you know, he got to see what he needed to. You know what I need and it's something more than what I have. Mm. And I feel terrible like saying that because we've been taught, you know, over God, and over. God that, will give you what you need. Yeah. Now I have language for that. Like I, I was calling it at the time faith defense mechanisms. I remember it was kind of the, the term that I had were sort of these like thoughts that creep into your head when you start to, as Thomas Jefferson said, this was a new quote I had learned, question with boldness, even the existence of a God, for if there be one, he would far prefer the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. I get this new thought, but then I have the other thought that pops up immediately and says, you know, well, you need to be faithful to God, even when no one else is, you should be that last Mm -hmm. person. A thought terminating. Thought stopping cliche. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So now I have a new term for that. But at the time I was just, I I was starting to at least become aware of these reactions and responses, but all this stuff is welling up in my brain. I don't know where it's coming from anymore. And I just, I want to believe I really wanted God to be real. He should know what I need to see. And so eventually where I kind of got to was, look, God, I I promise I will always be willing to evaluate to, to any sign that you send me. I promise for the rest of my life, I will be. But I need to at least just try looking at the world in this different way just for a moment Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of where i'd sort of gotten by the point we needed to stop for gas once like okay i'm just i'm gonna try looking at the world and just see what it looks like Mm -hmm. you know just dip the toe in yeah but don't worry god i i I love you i want you to be real i'm listening to you but i guess i'll just try that because i'm not getting anything and i remember getting out of the truck and having this physical sensation of my stomach upturning almost and suddenly just the atmosphere being thin or non-existent like Mm -hmm. oh my goodness it's just the atmosphere and then the stars and that's it and we're just all alone it's a void and i i wanted to like hold on to that big yellow thing that stops you from hitting the the hitting the fuel tanks you know like yeah those little barriers yeah like Uh one of those big like yellow barriers or something like i wanted to hold on to that because like i felt i was gonna fly up off the earth oh yeah, yeah yeah like i really felt like that upturned And it was this freaky sensation, like a physical sensation that like my world (laughs) turned upside down. I was going to fall. Yeah. Everything is different now. Yeah. This changes everything. So I managed to fuel up the tank. And then the the rest of the drive was more just like, okay. How much was your gas? I have records, but it was probably (laughs) just... (laughs) <laughs> uh, probably under $3 a gallon back then. <laughs> I, I think the rest of the drive was, how does this work now? How does everything work? Wh- yeah. What do I do? What, yeah. What's reality? This began this long process by which I had to kind of reevaluate things that I was just so used to in my life, like praying before every meal. That was just something mm-hmm. I did. And so then I would sit there with my food and be like, well, what do I do? Like, mm. I feel like I'm missing some moment of gratitude. Well, I guess I feel thankful to the people who prepared it. Mm-hmm. I'm like trying to work my way back the food chain, like mm-hmm. who who packaged this thing. And if I see a homeless person, I you know, I would immediately think like, oh, that could be Jesus there. 
because mm-hmm. we're trained to think, you know, like that could be Jesus in disguise. I need mm-hmm. to help him. It's like, okay, well, you're my evolutionary cousin. So we're, <laughs> we're family. I should just help you because it's nice. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you know, I was trying to like just convert all of these things into mm-hmm. a new format. I got really policing on my language. So like I would try not to say things like, oh my God, you know, mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, you know, like, mm-hmm. and I would like be really conscientious of that. I've given that up. I don't care anymore. <laughs> I just say whatever comes. But also being a father to my son, you know, I'd think like, yeah. okay, well, what's my, what's my motivation here? And what I found, of course, was that all of the good things that could be had from faith had their equivalents. They could be replaced, mm. you know. All of, okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I still miss little aspects of like, there are times where I do kind of miss like just the chattiness with God, you know, Mm -hmm. even though I understand it was sort of just a part of myself. And I've even had like atheist friends who say they enjoy praying Mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, well, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just that little internal conversation. It's a good way to work things out. But yeah, in the end, I don't think anything changed about my core personality. I think I was able to replace all those pieces. And then I was in the awkward situation of trying to come out, quote unquote, is is the closest that I will ever experience to a coming out experience as a straight white male, where I had to now tell my family and people around me. So I remember one of the first interactions was my pastor at the Presbyterian church. I'd been offered a deacon position at that church and I was a regular usher and I was very involved. So I turned down the deacon position and I'd use an excuse. I'd said, well, I'm out of county, often visiting family like the whole summer and everything. So I shouldn't be taking on a position like that. But then I realized, well, that was a lie. That wasn't the real Mm -hmm. reason. So I immediately made a meeting with that pastor and I came to him and I told him, hey, here's what I've been struggling with. Here's where I'm at. And I think he first interpreted it kind of like the guy from Campus Crusades, like, oh, you're asking me to help you get back to faith. Uh, right, right. You've handed me the potato. I got it. Exactly. He set up a series of meetings with me and this other youth pastor guy who had just started the church who became a good friend of mine. And we would go play chess at Tally Rand and talk faith and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think over time I was having more an influence on him than he was on me. So that stopped. And we're, you know, we're still friends. And then uh, I was still working at my Christian school, my high school, summer break. So I would go there and I would get into these kind of light debates. I remember talking about martyrdom and the selection of the books of the Bible with my coworkers there at the school and realizing I can't keep doing this. I can't work Mm -hmm. at a Christian school Mm -hmm. when I'm not simpatico anymore. So uh, that was a very slow kind of tapered, you know, just me contributing less hours over time. And I stopped working there and then telling my family that was really tough. And I, I didn't want to do it over the phone. So I had to wait to tell my dad in person. Mm. The, the hardest was probably telling my sister Jeanette in mm. person. And I, I like kind of worked on phrasing. So I said, I no longer believe in the supernatural. That was kind of my way of entering the conversation. Uh, so that led to an all night discussion with my sister. And she was really distraught about this. And, and still to this day, you know, we exchange literature. She's still trying to get me to listen to William Lane Craig. And, and she, you do. Yeah, I do. That's right. That's true. I still very much read this stuff or read uh, C.S. Lewis books. And I give her stuff. I just bought her a copy of Heaven and Hell by Bart Ehrman, which I loved. If you're interested in any of these topics, great book. Anyway, so yeah, so I, I'm trying to have these conversations one by one with family members and they're all reacting differently. My dad you could tell it kind of cut 
to the quick for him. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where like the day was almost over. We almost had to go home, but like, I didn't want to go another Sunday of calling him from afar and having to try to like custom tell my stories to avoid this yeah. change in my life. It's like, no, I, I need to do it now or I'm not going to be able to for months. And so it was like, okay, well, I guess now the conversation is going to be about, about me not believing in the supernatural. What does that mean? Are you, are you an agnostic? Yes, I am an agnostic. I'm also an atheist. Mm-hmm. You know, he kind of took it like a champ, but you could tell he was pained. And both he and my stepmom then were telling stories about kind of what were the linchpins of faith for them, which is usually where the conversation goes. And that's always interesting too, hearing kind of where people go and their version of the lying out under the stars or sure. praying with the friends and experiencing a great sense of camaraderie and uh, speaking in tongues or whatever it is that, that holds that in for them. So we had those conversations and I've told this story often uh, as we were leaving, my dad put his armor around me and kind of oh, yeah. pulled me away from everybody else and says, well, son, at least you still like women and you eat meat. <laughs> and now, as we all know, I'm a vegetarian and he kind of sighs when I tell my story about plant-based meats and stuff that I mean. <laughs> he's like, thank you, Gara. He, he's a good guy. He's like, he's Tevya, you know, like in mm. um, uh, my favorite movie. Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> thank you. That I can't my think of the name favorite. of. My very favorite. Very favorite. Uh, what is it? Uh, Fiddler on the Roof. Cellist on the ceiling. Tradition. So, you know, having to deal with all of that with me, kind of like one by one, I haven't developed an attraction to men yet, but, you know, I'm <laughs> not living Fingers up crossed. to those expectations, but he still expresses his pride in me. We have a great relationship. Uh, my mom also, you know, every now and then she'll be driven to tears by this. And mm-hmm. I know my whole family, at least the Christian part of my family, uh, which is most of them, is ardently hoping for me to come back to faith to find belief gives Um, them something to do yeah and they think uh, i've even heard this voiced by my mother-in-law you know that she thinks that after all of this wandering and learning about other religions and stuff when i do come back into the fold i will be the most powerful oh sure tool for christ imaginable she's not wrong about that if you went back oh boy great story yeah if i wanted to a bank on that i could earn buco bucks going around to schools giving talks but Of course, I couldn't do that, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, unless God reveals himself to me. But boy, will he have a lot of explaining to do. So that's that's how I got to God, if you're listening. (laughs) Then I became more and more involved with the secular community. But I stayed at that church also for like a decade. I ran their website for years and updated their podcasts. And And when we first met, you were still doing that stuff. I'm still friends with them and hanging out with them regularly. Like they're still my friends. They're great people. If you need a faith community, they, they are good people. And so, you know, I kept that up and they would still let me be like an usher at church. And I, I asked like for dispensation, is it okay for me to usher? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And I remember once we were You're just telling people where to sit. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I remember that we were having a conversation once at the church and every now and then, like I would catch a, a glimpse of this conversation where someone didn't realize that I was an atheist. Uh-huh. Like I remember once at a Bible study that I went to a guy being like, oh, well, the queen of the atheists was on TV the other day and she was saying blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking- Who's my queen? Like, <laughs> who are we talking about? I'm still not sure who he was talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. I wonder who that was. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, th- I want to say I asked him. I would immediately know who it was if he had said the king of the atheists. That would be what? Richard Dawkins? R- uh, yeah. Like he's just the most sure. public. Sure. Face of that movement. I mean, but yeah, I don't years know ago, the... it would have been Madeline Murray O'Hare, but right. this was long she after her death. Already 
And I remember, I remember a guy at the church, we were having a friendly debate and he was telling me like, oh, well, I heard that Carl Sagan changed his mind on his deathbed and accepted Ah. Christ. I was like, oh, that's a story people tell and you should be (laughs) suspicious of Christians sharing stories like that. Uh, That was another thing for me is learning that a lot of the little stories I'd heard were just not true. (laughs) I mean, also when you're dying, is that like the time to take someone's word for, I mean, like, uh, you know, people see like dragons coming through the wall when they're dying because they're dying right but also these are made up stories to score cheap points yes like my dad will hear things at church and he'll say uh on a sunday call well what do you think about charles darwin having recanted his belief in evolution on his deathbed said well i think that's a fake story that christians tell uh, Uh to score cheap points when they can't answer the actual arguments i bet there are some incidents of that happening though but it'd still be like so someone in in a moment of panic while their blood was draining sure. out of their brain, yeah. said a thing. Like, that wouldn't mean re- too much to me. I remember Christopher Hitchens. He had cancer. He knew he was dying and he was fading. And he said, hey, if I do anything like that, just know it's not coming from the real me. Oh, uh-huh. He knew that sort of story would happen mm-hmm. no matter what he did or didn't do. I know Richard Dawkins has said he wants to have, like, a camera rolling. Oh, not a bad to, idea. Just so he can... On his deathbed? It's. I think that's a fantastic idea. I haven't heard him say that. It's a very us idea. Yes. Yeah, you and I would be like, okay, I heard about six months. So I have to get six months of tape and I've got to set it up from all these angles. I'm all for it. I would do that (laughs) if I thought anyone cared to make stories about me uh, recanting. But I remember also being at the church once and we were having just in our friend group a discussion and, and someone said, oh, well, as an atheist, you know, probably you think blah, 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 blah. And one of my buddies, John, said, I'm sorry, wait, atheists? Is somebody an atheist here? And I, maybe it was Jay, I can't remember, said, oh, yeah, well, Ross is an atheist. And John just looked at me like, like just full on like, I need to look in your eyes now. I'm like, <laughs> you, I can't believe you're an atheist. You're one of the reasons I realized this was my church family. Like, Aww. I remember you greeting me at the front door and thing like, oh, Aww. these people are great. I was like, uh-oh, now what am I doing? Maybe I shouldn't be usher anymore. But also, <laughs> I thought- holding the potato. I didn't know I was holding the potato. Yeah, exactly. But like, a really cool opportunity came out of that. That pastor let me give a talk on why Christians should accept evolution. And I had like a little slide deck. And it was really cool. Like, I really valued that moment. He came and gave a talk at CFI, Center for Inquiry. So that then leads me up to- our I'm sorry, I'm leaving out a really important thing, which is uh, I have a wife and she was a believer during all this. And as I was having all these questions, she was one of the few people I could be honest about this with. So she knew I was struggling with it. She had never been as religious as I was. She thought I was just a little too on the crazy end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I think she kind of enjoyed seeing that I was losing a bit of my hard edge evangelical nature. And then as I regressed to the mean, she had just a few things. She's like, yeah, you know, all of that kind of makes sense to me too. And she would go to some of the lectures with me. She said, but, you know, I still kind of believe that there's something in the afterlife. And she held on to that for maybe like three months. <laughs> oh, okay. And like a- like kind of after I recanted, like it's a spring break, like it was really like three months before she finally said, you know what? Yeah, I don't believe it either. Maybe she was just pushing you a little ahead of her toward the belly of the beast. Like, let's just see if he dies in a fire. Right. If he's fine, maybe <laughs> I can say the same. It's so funny. And we ended up in mirror images of where we used to be, where she thought it was ridiculous that I still went to church. Like, you're the worst atheist ever. Uh, this <laughs> is like the whole benefit is we don't have to go to church anymore. 
Um, so she wouldn't be bothered, but I still took Andrew to church for many years. Anyway, so I fell on this kind of more activist side where I was involved with the community. I joined the independent investigations group. Um, I'm going to the book club. I'm going to constant lectures. And she's like, okay, come on, let's just have our <laughs> Sunday. So she ended up just in the mirror position where she'd been at as a Christian. And then the skeptic society, I tried to kind of volunteer there and offer my services to help with things, but they just had their thing worked out. And CFI had more of this community where you could get together and meet other people, young people. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, like I met you and Claire and, you know, some of our other friends from there and uh, I can volunteer. And so I got really involved in all these different groups. And that's how you and I met. Oh, that's how. Okay. At the, uh, the book club and the lecture series. Okay. Long roll up. My question was just, where did we meet? (laughs) <laughs> so thank you yeah thank yeah you for taking me there yeah i remember like oh, one of the first places we really got to know each other well was at uh, atheist alliance international yep 2009 uh conference atheist alliance international. we went to that yeah and we were making jokes all the time we were having fun and learning a lot and like listening to lectures by daniel dennett and all these other yeah that but, was a great daniel dennett talk oh yeah yeah and lawrence krauss also P. Myers. yeah pz myers mm-hmm. yeah you know this was so cool getting to meet all these big names whose books i'm just now reading and everything it was mm-hmm. yeah pretty awesome not a world I travel in anymore. Yeah. But an important one to my story, which we'll hear next week. Okay. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so there you go. Hopefully you all know me a lot better now. What is your biggest regret about your faith journey, if you have any? I would say just I, I feel the disappointment of my family. Mm. Uh, my grandma on my dad's side, she sent me a card, I remember, not too long before she died. And it was baldly letting me know that she was disappointed that I was no longer a believer. And I like, you know, I hate that um, that was kind of her last thought of me. Yeah. And it, 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 it does bother me that that just kind of sits in everyone's mind and flavors all of our interactions. Yeah, that makes and, sense. And I think that's the only thing that I miss because a lot of people think like, oh, you're angry at God. Well, you don't, you're not angry at God. You just don't believe in God anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different thing. I'm not against the idea of God or anything like that. If if there was a God, I'd be all for him and I'd be his best servant. But I don't believe it. And you can't make yourself believe something. That's what's wrong with that whole Pascal's wager yeah. idea. Oh, well, there's a lot of things wrong with Pascal's wager. But <laughs> if you haven't heard of that, the Christians will draw up this sort of like four quadrant chart and say, okay, well, either there is a God or there isn't. And either you believe in him or you don't. Well, if there is a God and you believe in him, you get to go to heaven. If there is a God and you don't believe in him, you go to hell. If there isn't a God and you believe in him, well, nothing happens. You just die. If there isn't a God and you don't believe in him, well, nothing happens. You just die. So you might as well just make that wager and pretend there's a God because it'll be spiritual insurance. Of course, the problem is there could be a different God. Uh, what if right. What if we're wrong and someone else is right? And also, uh, I think he would see through you making just a calculated wager and pretending to believe in him because it would be advantageous. This is what I call Poppy's problem, okay. which is, okay, I just invented a God, and that God's only rule is that you don't believe in him. Deal with that, fucker. God's only rule is that you don't... Ooh, So if you start believing in him, you go to hell. You fail. Deal with that. Whoa, that... Deal with that, Pascal. You're right. That totally messes up Pascal's wager. So yeah, it's not a simple quadrant. It's a very large field of options. Yeah, of course. um, And if all that exists is this world and you spend all of your life looking in the wrong places for how you can alleviate suffering and find purpose, Mm -hmm. then you still lose quite a bit of the only life you've got, which is 
Yeah. So it yeah. brings you back to the right. same issue. That's a very important point. There is a negative cost to believing because this is your one life, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. And yeah, part of it's uh, being devoted to something not real. Uh, yeah, if you come to believe that. Right. So so this is an important point to say, I, you know, I am not evangelical about these ideas. Yeah. Um, and I, I love my friends of faith and I encourage them to keep on trucking, you know, if it yeah, feels same. good for them. Now, if someone wants to have this conversation, I love having it's my favorite conversation, mm. but I'll only have it with the people who are ready for it and in the emotionally yeah. right place for it. So, you know, if your faith is working for you and it's something important in your life, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's not Just what we're getting don't, here. Don't vote against the rights of gay people and such. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We, uh, keep the earth sparkling clean. That's right. Protect God's creation. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am and how I sort of evaluate everything, but also why I get so excited whenever we run into something with Bible verses and theology. <laughs> yes. It's like, I want to engage Ross's with these ideas. favorite thing. Totally. Well, you know another great way to get community. To join the Maximum Fun community. Exactly. Your new religion, this is where we're going with this. <laughs> uh-huh. Your new religion listener is Max Fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep your religion. Nah. Uh, but truly, it is a wonderful community. There's a lot of ways to engage with the Max Fun community online. Yeah. But if that's not your thing, if it's more, you know, you like to uh, stay at a remove and just listen to the shows, there's enough there to yeah. keep. You could play Max Fun shows all day and all night <laughs> and not run out. No kidding. Yeah. So thank you to everybody who has gone out of their way to support the show. Uh, as a Max Fun member, you are really the reason we're able to continue creating this show. Yes. Can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Really, you do make this possible. And we're we're really proud and honored to be in your ears. And if you haven't had a chance to become a member yet, you can do so at MaximumFun.org slash join. Our, well, well, that's, that's it for our, our show. show. Our theme music, music is, is by Brian, Brian Keith, Keith Dalton. Dalton. Our, our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by, by Ross, Ross Blotcher. You can, you can support, support this and all, all our, our investigations, investigations by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Now is the best, best time to do that. that. And And remember. remember. Hello, everybody. Today is August the 27th. 17th. 17th. And 1985. And we're really happy you could watch this film. My name is Jennifer, and this is my brother, Ross. You want to say hi, Ross? Hi. Can you tell him how old you are? I'm three. I play. I'm three years old. Yeah, three. I'm three years old. And I'm 11 years old. Rossi? Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Black and white, eyes, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Hey, thank you very much. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Say bye-bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.